Good morning, everyone. Buenos dias, bonjour. I have an announcement to start. Uh, Francis would like to meet all of the regional chairs at the tea break at the back of this room, all the regional chairs for ICEVI. Please meet Francis at the back of this room at the tea break. Thank you all for coming. This is a very exciting session. I'm Diane Bergeron. I work with the CNIB in Canada, and I also, <laughs> I paid them to do that. I also chair the Youth Engagement and Leadership Committee for the World Blind Union. Very excited to have a session on youth this year. We've got some great speakers for you. And I think it's important for us to remember that our youth of today are our leaders of tomorrow. And so the youth that we bring forward are here today to talk to you about their issues and to talk to you about how they are going to be able to take our places as we leave, hopefully like Penny, to retire. Uh, and they come in and use their youthful energy to do the work that uh, we need to do in the world for people who are blind or partially sighted to give us a much better quality of life. So today's chairs, I am Diane Bergeron. I'm chairing along with my good friend Pravina, who can introduce herself. Okay, good morning. Is everybody happy? Everybody feeling very youthful this morning? Okay. Okay, for those of you who don't know me, I am Praveena Sukraj Eli. I am one of the five principal officers of ICEVI. And my main, my, although my oversight role is also based internationally, my primary oversight role is on Africa. So Africa, are you in the house? Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> okay, so um, I would like to say to you all thank you. Thank you for joining us this morning. And my request to you would be if all of you can just imagine that we had a time machine. And all of you could go back in time to when you were between the ages of 19, 20, 21 and have that, that buzzy feeling that youth have. And I want you to think about how, what, what challenges you felt, how confused you felt, what issues you had. So when you listen to our speakers today, and when you come forth with recommendations, etc., of how we can move forward uh, with, these to, to, with recommendations for these challenges, that you actually feel and think and you're able to put yourself in their shoes. Thank you. You want me to do the session? Yeah, I will now. So this morning's session, we, do, we have three keynote speakers for you this morning. They will each take an opportunity to talk to you. And when they're done, we're going to open the floor to questions to ask our speakers. I think it's very important that we have an interactive session so that we can learn from the youth. So I will ask Pravina to introduce our first very dynamic speaker. Up to you. Okay. Um, before, before I go on to, to introduce um, Yoshimi, I, I wanted to just 
just do a little bit of an outline of the role that ICVI um, sees, you know, its role of, with regard to youth with visual impairments. Now, I'm sure all of you heard over the past few days that ICVI's primary objective is to promote e the equal access to appropriate education for all children and youth with visual impairments. ICVI recognizes the challenges faced by youth in general, and moreover, the compounded challenges faced by youth with visual impairments and additional disabilities in particular. Now, as ICVI's core function is advocating for education of children and youth who are visually impaired, uh, we, it does not go unnoticed to us that all the challenges that youth may face in the various facets of their lives is actually due largely to the fact that most children and youth don't have access to education. Education has this ripple effect because if children don't, go to, don't have primary education, clearly they're already five steps behind. When they get primary education and then they cannot get into secondary education, there's another compounded challenge. Sometimes those who are fortunate enough with family support, parental support, etc., who then go into tertiary education are not included in those tertiary environments because tertiary education institutions do not know how to provide that sort of support in education. So in that regard, I would say ICVI sees its role in enrolling children and youth, and if you, if you are in the field, you would know that at many instances, children only end up going to school when they are at the stage when they can be referred to as youth. So we need to address those challenges. When they're in secondary education, we need to ensure that they receive the necessary education and support, et cetera, that they require. And now that we have, re we have launched our tertiary education, our higher education initiative, with the support of the Nippon Foundation and initiated by Dr. Larry Campbell, I, we can ensure you that we will definitely be in the process of drafting guidelines, etc., to help with that process of ensuring that tertiary edu education institu institutions also include students with disabilities after they finish school. So with those words, I want to reiterate ICVI's commitment to working towards advocating for the rights and needs of, of youth with visual impairments as education lays the foundation to ensure their overall development, inclusion, and participation in every sphere of society. So with that, I want to take the opportunity now to introduce Yoshimi Horiyuchi. Yoshimi is the director of the Always Reading Caravan Association. Um, Yoshimi was born in Kochi, Japan, uh, in 1983. In 2007, Yoshimi graduated from the International Christian University in Tokyo. Um, Yoshimi then moved on to Thailand, where she, where she founded the Always Reading um, Caravan Association, and it has a library and a mobile resource library, etc., which Yoshimi will now um, tell you about. So. Welcome, um, Yoshimi. 
Testes, hello. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, I want to have a little feel of this room because I can't see all of you. Um, those of you who think you are a youth, can you clap for me? Oh, <laughs> great. Those of you who think you are youth at heart, can you clap for me as well? <laughs> That's great. I'm actually really nervous today because th uh, I know many of you um, and I'm not used to presenting in front of my friends. <laughs> so let me start with a little story because I'm working for a library. Around 30 years ago, in a corner of Asia, there lived a girl in an old farmhouse. She was full of energy, very talkative, and always had cuts and scratches from running around. Yes, she was very healthy and strong, except, as you may assume, she was blind. But she didn't feel that she was missing out something, because she could see everything through a magic window that each and every child is allowed to have. And she really loved looking out of this window. She could see birds flying, people laughing, and stars shining in the sky. As she grew up, things that she saw in the window kept changing. She was horrified to see a big bomb go off and take people's lives. She was fascinated to learn that there are people with different skin colors and that it actually means a lot to many people. <coughs> Ten years later, the girl was in her late teen. She decided to leave her farmhouse because she wanted to visit places that she had seen in the window. She wanted to meet people of different skin colors and languages whom she had seen from the window. And she was shocked to find out that so many children in the world did not have this magic window that she had always loved. Some said they did not have enough money. Others didn't ha know how wonderful it is, so they just kept the curtain shut. So she decided to travel around so that she could help opening the window for the children one child at a time. As you perhaps have assumed already, this is my story. And the magic window actually means reading and learning. I believe that books can enrich child's life and develop their imagination skills, blind and sighted alike. They can experience different lives regardless of their circumstances. Always Reading Caravan Association is a not-for-profit not organization that empowers and promotes joy of reading and learning through library and literacy projects in rural Thailand. We are located in the north of Thailand. Now, 
Before I talk a little bit more about what we do, I would like you to come with me on a small audio tour to Thailand. So those of you who can see, then please close your eyes. Those of us who cannot see, don't need, no need to worry about that. <laughs> so Will, can you help me to open the audio file for me? And then when it's, music starts, you can uh, fade it out. Thank you. Not yet, not yet. Uh, uh, more a bit about up, up, up. So this is a snippet of the sound from Thailand, reading books together, frogs uh, singing songs after rain, and um, Aka tribe, hill tribe people making a prayer together. And the last part was reciting the Thai alphabet. This was recorded in our little, uh, little children's center. Always reading caravan. Um, has a library in the community in northern Thailand and we serve around 700 people in the community all of them cited most of them actually and um, we have about 7,000 books and 300 DVD films with a Wi-Fi service available and uh, we also have a mobile library activities uh, with which we visit remote schools, uh, people with disabilities who are homebound, and communities. And we also have two early childhood literacy centers that serves the children who are coming from the Hill Tribe communities. Um, I was asked to talk about realizing our dreams. And I was thinking, how can I say this? Because dream is different from person to person. But now I would like to talk to you how I see how we, all of us can realize our dream. I think it's a bit like cooking. I love cooking. <laughs> so the recipe of realizing our dream, I think it's like this. You need very fresh ingredients. No matter how you are a good cook, if you don't have good ingredients, you don't succeed. So you need a very good dream that you believe in so strongly and you can convince other people. And the method of making this dish is to, 
to talk to people and share your dream with other people and get them involved in every step of realization of our dream. Without the help of so many people, including many of you who are sitting here in this room, I wouldn't be here talking to you like this this morning. And of course, it's very important that we keep on stirring the pot. We have to be patient. We have to give it a lot of thoughts and time and energy and everything we have. It's, it's actually really difficult for me because I'm a very impatient person in nature. But this is very, very, very crucial. And I would say the tip to make this dish dream extra delicious is to spice it up with challenges. Um, we are quite lucky because those of us who are blind or visually impaired, we already born with challenges. We don't have to ask for extra, to start with at least. <laughs> and when we have challenges, and, in, and this kind of drives us forward to get to the things that we might not be able to do otherwise. And this really connects to people very, very strongly. I don't think if I were sighted, I don't say that, I, I'm not discriminating against sighted people, sorry, but if I were sighted, I don't think I could have realized my dream like this. Because I had so many people who came and helped me, even though I was nobody in the beginning. I mean, I'm still nobody, but, <laughs> but I, I was just a blind, uh, like a Japanese girl coming to Thailand, just with a proposal and budget. Nothing else, no money, no backup sponsor, and they still believed in my dream with me. So I think youth, with blindness or visual impairment, already we have potential to convince other people, much more than those without disabilities. People often ask me, why Thailand? Why library? And why library for the sighted people? You're blind, why you don't work for the blind people? And I often say, I mean, I don't know what to say, so I just say, why not? I think to have a dream, you don't really need a reason. Of course, you must love it. You must believe in it. You must be convinced, and you can convince others with it. But you don't have to be justified to have one dream or another. I think... As a youth with visual impairment, we have to be confident that we have a dream and we want to realize. And we have to give the dream credit that it's a very good ingredient to start with. So we have to try to be a good chef. For those who are around youth with visual impairment, those of us who are grown up with visual impairment or without visual impairment, we have to give them a good kitchen. So encourage them and 
empower them and believe them and guide them and give them a lot of encouragement and sometimes some challenges. Because sometimes if you discourage the person a little bit, then you get stronger fire. I hope that WBU and ICEVI will drive millions of blind children around the world to nurture dreams that they have. And I hope that all of us who are in this, uh, uh, in this uh, stadium, a uh, stadium, sorry, in this hall, <laughs> in this hall, can help each other to encourage more and more young children to dream on every single day around the world, no matter where they may come from. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was excellent. I never thought of the perspective of being blind as being lucky because we came already built in with challenges. And uh, so I think that's a fabulous perspective. So thank you. And now I get the privilege and extreme pleasure of introducing one of my fellow countrymen, or women, I suppose. Our next speaker is Molly Burke. Molly Burke started doing presentations in front of audiences and speaking in front of audiences when she was five years old. Molly has a TV show in Canada that she does once a week, along with a YouTube channel. And for any of us women who would like to learn how to put on makeup, I can tell you that it's a fabulous YouTube channel. I have seen, I have seen some of uh, Molly's presentations. Molly spent time as a youth, as a young girl, being bullied at school, and has taken this negative experience and turned it into a positive presentation and goes around internationally doing presentations in front of audiences as large as 20,000 people. Molly is accompanied by her very friendly and uh, beautiful guide dog, Gallup, and will be doing a presentation for us this morning on her perspective. Molly. Hello, everyone. First off, I want to say thank you guys so much for uh, having me here today. I'm thrilled to be here. As you heard, my name is Molly Burke. I'm 22 years old, and I'm here from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And, as Diane mentioned, I'm not here alone. Under the table beside me, I have my sleeping guide dog. His name is Gallop. Gallop like a horse running. But that's not the only reason he's like a horse. My dog is half black lab and half Bernese mountain dog. He's a very large dog and actually weighs five pounds more than I do. So he's a big guy. But the two of us are very excited to be here with you today because today I'm just going to share with you a small piece of my journey. Now, my journey is not a unique one, especially standing here in this room, which is why it's an important one to share. Many of you have probably been through similar experiences to my own, and unfortunately, many young people still are. My journey is one of loss and depression, but it's also one of hope and empowerment. When I was four years old, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. Fast forward 10 years, when I was 14 years old, the disease took most of my sight. 
Grade 8 is a difficult year for most people. It's made even more difficult when you're coping with going blind. Losing my vision was a huge adjustment. But at times, losing my friends because of it felt like an even bigger one. I went from being the popular girl at school, walking down the hallways surrounded by friends, to walking down the hallways alone, hearing my old friends yell, watch out, blind girl, as I walked by, as if they had completely forgotten my name. And it went on like this all year, until finally, it was time for our grade eight trip to Ottawa. Parliament buildings, Rideau Canal, a distraction, from everything I was dealing with in my everyday life. But I sat on the six-hour bus ride alone. And when we arrived to the hotel, apparently my friends had forgotten that we had all promised to be each other's roommates, and they asked the new girl to take my bed. And with no other hotel rooms with beds available, I was put on a cot in the corner of theirs. And I was really unwanted. And they made it clear. Until the final night, when it seemed like things began to change. We'll throw a party. That's what they said to me. We'll do your hair and makeup, stay up all night, listen to music, eat candy, dance around. It'll be fun. And that night, they did my makeup. They put mousse in my hair. I couldn't see it, but I knew something wasn't right. With my light perception that I had left, I could see the flashing of a camera. I could hear the sound of their laughter. And that's when I found out what they had really done. They put whipped cream in my hair instead of mousse. They used makeup to write all over my face. My face became a canvas for their hateful words. Hateful words scrawled across my forehead and cheeks in eyeliner and lipstick. And that night in that hotel room was my 14th birthday. And that party was supposed to be to celebrate me. I had just wanted to feel accepted again after going blind. And afterwards I thought, well, at least it's just four girls. But then I arrived home to that all-familiar sound of Facebook alert, and I heard voiceover read out, you have been tagged in eight photos, not just four girls. Everyone was commenting, sharing, liking, laughing at my expense. The next day, I went to school. I begged my guidance counselor for help. I told her everything that was happening, but I knew I wasn't going to get any help from her when she turned to me and said, it's all your fault, Molly. You're bringing this on yourself. She went on to explain that she somehow knew that I was faking it. I hadn't actually gone blind. I was just using it as an excuse to get attention. And therefore, the negative attention that I was getting, the bullying I was experiencing, I was bringing on myself. My friends didn't like me anymore. I wasn't a part of the group. They had made that clear. My teachers weren't going to support me. They didn't even believe me. You could say at this point, I realized how fully alone I was. One in five people live with mental illness. 
People who are blind and visually impaired are three times more likely to live with mental illness than people who are sighted. And I'm not ashamed to stand up here and tell you that I am that one in five. Months before this situation, I had been diagnosed with situational depression, which is exactly what it sounds like, depression triggered by a troubling situation in one's life. And I had a few. I lost my vision, my friends, and my will to keep living. But everything changed one night at a dinner with the Foundation Fighting Blindness. That night, I sat there in this room, surrounded by doctors and scientists, all of these people who spent their lives researching for a cure for this disease that was causing me so much pain, and they hadn't found a cure for me yet. My life was just getting worse, so I did not want to talk to them, because at that time in my life, I felt so broken. I thought I was broken because I let those girls make me believe I was broken. So I thought the only way to be fixed was a cure, was for me to be sighted again. And so I sat there so angry until I heard my mom talking to a scientist about her necklace. And I know that sounds silly, but going blind did not take away my love of fashion. And... When the scientist saw me perk up with interest for the first time that night, she walked over to me, she grabbed my hand, she brought it to her neck, and she helped me trace out H-O-P-E, hope. And as I traced out those four simple letters that make up that word, it hit me. Yes, I did lose my vision. Yes, I did lose my friends. Yes, I lost my will to live, but the most crucial thing I had lost, the thing that led me down this dark path, was my hope. Hope that it would be okay. Hope that I would find success and happiness and love and in my life again one day. And so it was that night that I started my journey of rediscovering what hope now meant to me. It was a long journey, and it's one I couldn't walk alone. Because along my journey, I realized that I needed to start reaching out for help. And I needed to learn to advocate for myself and what I needed. And when I started reaching out, I was amazed and realized how fortunate I was to have so many people in my life who were willing to be there and support me. My family, new friends, teachers, a team of medical professionals... And so many times in life, it seems like people think asking for help means that in some way they've failed. And I know that many people view it this way because that's how I used to view it. But I've come to realize that nobody on this planet is 100% perfect at 100% of what they try to do. Blind or sighted, everybody needs help and that's okay. And the way I view it now is asking for help is not failing. But failing to ask for help when you need it is. When I started reaching out, when I started asking for help, 
I realized how empowering it can be to advocate for yourself and what you need. I realized how empowering it can be to stand up for yourself, to stand up for what you believe in, to stand up for what you're passionate about. Standing up for myself allowed me to take back the voice those bullies had stolen from me. Traveling the world sharing this story has allowed me to take back that voice. And it's allowed me to see that I'm not defined by the words of my bullies. I'm not defined by the mental illness I live with. And I'm not defined by my disability. I'm defined by the person all of those challenges have helped me to become. And the same is true for every single one of you sitting here in this room today. You are not defined by the challenges that you have faced. You are defined by the strength they have given you. We should never be ashamed of who we are. We should never be embarrassed about what we have been through. We should be proud of where we are today and the battles we have fought along the way because that's something to be proud of. That is something to be proud of. And so what I want to leave you with today is this. No matter what challenges you have faced in your life, no matter what challenges you will continue to face in your life, it is possible to take those struggles and turn them into your strengths. It's possible to take back your voice from whoever or whatever has stolen it from you and use that voice to make a positive impact on the world. It will not only empower yourself, but it'll it'll bring hope to so many others, that same hope that changed and saved my life. Thank you so much. Wow. I think all of us want to say thank you, Molly, for coming and sharing your story with us. And you have actually succeeded in motivating and inspiring all of us. Do you agree? Thank you. Okay. We're now going to move on to our next speaker. For this morning. He is Jason Ho. Uh, Jason is a registered social worker and licensed counselor. He is a member on the executive committee of the Hong Kong Blind Union. Jason is also on the youth engagement committee of the World Blind Union. Um, Jason is dedicated to working towards ensuring the, ensuring the betterment of youth, educational support, career development for youth with visual impairments. Thank you, Jason, for coming to address us this morning. Welcome. A very good morning to you all. Good morning. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for the introduction. And um, though it, it, I was introduced, 
I would like to do it myself as well. Thank you. Well, I actually studied in Ebenezer School, which was a um, special school for visual impairment when I was studying in the primary level, the elementary level. And then I admitted to the mainstream secondary school and finished my uh, bachelor and master degree at the University of Hong Kong. Well, I served the blind community with being a um, youth engagement committee member uh, for the WBU and an executive committee member of Hong Kong Blind Union as well as a subcommittee member of employment of Rehabilitation Advisory Committee in the Hong Kong government. For my full-time job, I, I'm now a clinical social worker with my training background with a, uh, of a social worker and licensed counsellor. Well, youth, in, youth development is an inevitable process for everybody, including visually impaired um, psychologists always believe that there is correlation between the development of youth and the future. Whenever they got healthy development, they are likely to be ha having a healthy life in the future and vice versa. So, I would like to tell you a few points of, I mean, the self, uh, I mean, the youth development. First, about the self-efficacy of the youth. Let me tell you a story. When I was 14 years old, one, four, 14, I was scolded with bad languages, the foul languages, by an old woman while my white cane hit that old woman. If you were me, what would you have felt? Well, at that time, I was very angry. I felt guilt, thinking of if I have had done anything wrong. But after for a while, a night, I was relieved. Well, I'm not mentioning how great I overcame everything. I, I'm not uh, going to do so. But I will tell you what made me able to do so. I believe everyone is able to do it. Secondly, for the independent ability and social skills. It is important, especially with youth with visual impairment. From the concurrent session um, to one, two, two, one, two days before, I was told that visually impaired usually cannot get along friends well. It is also the same in Hong Kong. Well, but I went to sing karaoke with my friend when I studied in a mainstream school. I even go swimming and playing basketball with my friends. So I will tell you one more story. Well, the first day when I was admitted to a mainstream secondary school, the teacher told my class, saying that Jason is a student with visual impairment. There is no big difference except he could not see. I believe he should have his own strength and hobbies and do treat him the same as, uh, as that of other counterparts. Well, thirdly, for the assertiveness training, I will also tell you one more story. One day when I was standing on the side of the road 
a man pushed me to the opposite side of the road. Whoa. And then I immediately told that man that um, I was actually not willing and not intending to cross the road, but I was actually waiting for a taxi. Well, I also tried to equip him as asking before taking actions where helping any persons in need. The three points that I mentioned is very important for youth development. Uh, I'm not mentioning uh, I'm smart enough to deal with those issues, but I am fortunate enough to receive training to do so. My parents is a great parent of me, and they always believed that I was able to manage everything well. They let me to cook, they let me to bump into the wall, <laughs> they let me to play football, soccer with other counterparts when I was around 10 years old. They allowed me to make any mistakes. Well, I was also fortunate enough to have some friends with visual impairment. We share our wisdom on handling those issues. This builds our mutual support. I also was fortunate enough to be in Hong Kong to participate in some developmental programs such as uh, training camps, um, like uh, our barn, etc. In those training camps, we need to build up our own tent, like uh, uh, find a way to rescue, like a uh, coke, like uh, how, uh, how to swim from one place to another. Well, so as the youth development is so important, what can be, what can be done in the national level? Number one, we can, we can provide mutual help amongst our youths. Let me share the example in Hong Kong. We provide, oops, we provide different programs to train groups on the self-efficacy. We provide mutual health groups for our secondary level teenagers. We also um, organize some training camps for building up the self-confidence, assertiveness, and leadership. And we also provide some inclusive programs with such peers to build up their social skills and also provide public perception training to them. We always believe that blindness is not what holds us back. <laughs> Secondly, we also can provide opportunity for youth to try in a national level. No I can tell you, no one in Hong Kong believes that visually impaired can be a COVID barrister. But uh, Hong Kong Blind Union organized a COVID barrister training in 2015, and um, nine COVID barrister were trained. We, unfortunately, only two were employed, but we got two to employ as a coffee barrister now in Hong Kong. We also organized the youth to organize the flower stock in 2016. You know, uh, in Chinese, we 
uh, I mean, before the Chinese New Year, we always have the flower stock to sell those goods, sell flowers, sell the souvenirs, sell the special goods for people to, I mean, for people to buy. This is not the uh, main concern, but our main concern is to train up those youths with uh, collaborative um, ideas with others, with the business mind, with the assertiveness to tell others, oh, I am selling this. Okay? Number three, we also develop leadership. We allowed the participation of youth in different levels of management of Hong Kong Blind Union. We got a consultative committee uh, focusing on education and employment, and most of the members were youth. We also got an advocacy group, like um, speaking about the marriage crash or silent car, silent car issues. We also got an audio magazine editorial board, which some of the participants were interviewed by me, actually. <laughs> well, in the international level, I think um, youth actually in different countries share similar situation. So gather them together. Firstly, to inviting innovative ideas. I think youths are always innovative and creative. So uh, in Hong Kong, we organized a youth forum in 2014 in the um, uh, World Blind Union Asia Pacific Midterm General Assembly that year. Well, in, we invited social enterprise proposals, and f we selected eight out of uh, over 60, and they, they were required to present. That is a good way to invite innovative ideas and also train up those youths on presentations, writing skills, ideas, creativity, etc. The winner was also awarded a seed fund to start the enterprise that year. In the youth forum, we also defied all the youth to participate in the discussion in the education, employment, welfare, and accessible transportation. Participants share their practice wisdom to others on enhancing their life within their own countries. And I still got some connection with some of the youths and uh, uh, they told me that the youth form helped them to build up social, uh, I mean, uh, build up friendship and also share the similar situation in their own countries. Secondly, we can gather youths in the regional level. We organized a youth summit in the Asia Pacific in 2015. Um, I should say, a social society for the blind Malaysia organized it, collaborative with the National Council for the Blind Malaysia. Japan Library, Japan Prayer Library, sorry, and the World Blind Union Asia Pacific. We organize workshops, discussions, informal, informal gathering, etc., to share wisdom. At last, we got a statement to ensure every national government to follow like a CRP strictly on the policy making process, provide training to policymakers on blind awareness issues, advocate youth council to every country. Uh, and encourage WBUAP to set up youth committee, etc. Last but not least, we have the Youth Engagement Committee globally. WBU Youth Committee 
established in 2013, chaired by Diane, who is a youth at heart. <laughs> and we got five other youth members. Uh, we got one in Afri Africa region, one, in, one from South America region, two from North America region, and one from Asia Pacific. A youth committee to, is to assist in the development of strategies to engage youth in a meaningful way in WBU work. We also already identified youth representatives for the UN, uh, United Nations Youth Committee. We are now working hard on the developing of the social media strategy for WBU, and we are planning to develop youth internship program we will maybe develop the co-chair system. We may try to set up youth, encourage to set up a youth committee in each region under WBU. Well, if you want to know more about the work of uh, WBU Youth Engagement Committee, feel free to give me any questions or go into Salon 3 and 4 at 11 a.m. to interact with other youth committee members and me. This is indeed an advertisement, right? <laughs> May I conclude with a story? In 1970s, no one believed that blind person can study, not to mention working in Hong Kong. But nowadays, there are two visually impaired working as a coffee barristers. Nothing can be done until we are willing to pay effort on what we would like to achieve. When it is obvious that youth development is so crucial, why don't we join hands together, both nationally and internationally, for the youth development movement? Thank you so much for listening to me. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jason. And I am honored to have the opportunities to work with Jason and the other youth in the Youth Engagement Leadership Committee with WBU. And it is them that helps me to remain young at heart. Although most people just call me immature, but we'll just let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we thought we would open up the floor to some questions. I find it fascinating that we sometimes think we want to engage our youth. We need to have a succession plan. How are we going to get them? Ladies and gentlemen, you have th your three star youth sitting right up here. Three very dynamic, engaging youth. And this is your opportunity to ask them almost any question you would like to ask. If you'd like to ask a question, please put up your hand. Can we get a wireless mic going around? Charles. Thank you. Uh, a comment to, to Molly. Uh, you are as awesome as your story is profound. I, yeah, let's do it. I listened to your story with such a range of emotions. Uh, it, it was absolutely astounding. I, there's one thing that I'd like to point out. You mentioned several times that you'd lost your vision. And I would just like to say that listening to you, it's clear to me that you have a vision of yourself, a vision of this world, 
and a vision of your place in it. And that vision is as strong as ever regardless of what's happened to your eyes. Your vision is an inspiration to all of us and you have lost none of it. Thank you so much. That was... Oh, thank you. I don't even know what to say to that. I, I really appreciate those very kind words. Thank you. Do we have Hello. Yeah, I am Keshi Chisambi from Zambia. I went blind as a result of measles. At the time, medical facilities were hard to go by. I am attending this crucial assembly for the first time in my life. And I feel very sad sometimes when my daughter spoke of problems she has gone through comparing with what is happening up in Africa. But I picked a word of encouragement not to be embarrassed even if people laugh at you when you are a blind person. The situation through which I went because when I lost sight at the age of 10, I wanted to be doing things I used to do when I was seeing, bumping into people, other people even criticizing my parents that they had gone, they, they, they have offended God. That's why I became a blind person. It was a very, very sad situation. This is still going on. Myths are there. But now we are in here where all these should be removed. God knows what will happen to one tomorrow. Even in the so-called sighted people today, they don't know tomorrow they can become a blind person. So it's better that to create a room for what you don't know will happen to you. We are having a center at which I am a director and the problems I have is to assure the newly blinded persons that that is not the end of the road. To the children who are brought at the ages of 10 and 6, I have difficulties in convincing the parents that bring your children here will make them understand that they have gone blind and that is not the end of the road. But then you have a problem with education. In education settings, the education of blind people it's not a priority when they are making the plans. They are saying to import equipment is expensive. But who in this hall where we are today can tell me that your country has once told you that now we are financially satisfied. We don't need any more money. This won't happen because the population keeps growing and the demands are also growing more than the money you are having. So, I am happy with my colleagues from Africa that we are here to learn. The things we thought, we think, we have been thinking that we are the only people who go through problems of ridicule are the same problems that you go in. My friend from Hong Kong is saying something. That is the same situation. But one should feel happy to join blind people in this situation, white, black, and things. We are all blind under the eyes, under the faces 
of God. It's good to be here. Please continue bringing, finally, continue bringing these services closer to African people. I thank you very much. Thank you. Do we have any questions for our panelists? Oh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Ruwaida from Zanzibar, Tanzania. Um, total blind since I was born. I have no question per se, just I need to contribute on the first speaker concerning the topic of realizing our dream. What I want to say is we appreciate for all the help we, we are getting from the developed countries, but still I think WBU and ICV having a big task to help our developing country to achieve our dream for the people with the visual impairments. Um, because uh, poverty, lack of facilities, and negative attitude toward uh, people with visual impaired makes us not to achieve our dream we have. For instance, like myself, um, <coughs> I, have, I, I had a dream of being a, a famous advocate in Zanzibar, but I still didn't achieve that dream because of that the factors I have talked about. So we still need your support to be to reach the where you are right now. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the comments. Um, I would appreciate it if we could ask the questions of the panel. This is your opportunity to hear from these youth. Good morning. My name is Corin Swart, and I'm school principal in South Africa. I would like to comment to Molly. Truly, you have been an inspiration. I also want to um, say that on a weekly basis in a school realistic situation, my school visually impaired learners, blind and partially sighted learners, I also find blind learners bullying other blind learners. And it's not unique. It is something that takes place on a daily basis. And in spite of programs and in spite of people coming to talk to them, you still have the aggressiveness and you experience the aggressiveness of learners bullying other learners, in the, especially from the age of nine up till 18. So just a comment, it, it happens everywhere and we try to um, end it as quick as possible. Hello? Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I, you're right. I agree with you. Um, after my experience losing my vision in grade 8 and being so horribly bullied, I transitioned to the, my local school for the blind, um, thinking that not only would I be able to get all of the skills I needed in the easiest place possible, but I would also be more accepted. And for a while I was, and then I began being bullied again. And not only was I getting bullied, but I saw so many other um, people getting bullied at the School for the Blind where seemingly I felt, okay, we're all going to be the same. We'll all get each other's situations. We'll all be accepted. It'll be great. And I quickly realized that wasn't the case. And for me, that's when the light bulb turned on inside of me that I'm not being bullied because I'm blind. I'm not being bullied because I'm broken. I'm not being bullied because something's wrong with me. I'm being bullied because something's wrong with that person. 
and it's not me at all. It's somebody else, and it's something broken inside of them that they need help for. Do we have more questions? Dios bendiga a todos. Mi nombre es Albertina Navarro. Albertina Navarro, and I am the president of the National Blind Union for Panama. And I believe me that I feel so happy to listen to these young kids that were talking from Canada and from Japan. And I am very impressed with the, your example. Uh, young people like you are the ones that are, are going to take over after us in every organization for every one of our countries. And so, to be honest with you, you guys have broken so many barriers that society has today towards our, our population that has this disabilities. And I don't want to leave here without getting to know Uh, or in exchange a couple of words with you and maybe get your email because if God allows me, we'll see how we can take you to Panama so that you can be an example for the young people in our country because they are not feeling very animated and they need to have that contact with young people like yourselves that haven't seen the negative. They've always seen the positive within every all the challenges. And the most important thing is that within your hearts you have that desire to be able to serve and not only that but you also you also at a certain time like anybody because of course uh, I was also left blind because I had the retina uh, detachment at, at 24 years old so and I wanted to die but if, if that hadn't happened I hadn't met wonderful people like yourselves and I wouldn't have had the opportunity to interact with other friends and other My companions and to be able to serve my friends in Panama and it's difficult to having a woman who is uh, who's, who's blind to become the president of the blind union but when you want to work for the common good and you have that desire to help then you make it and thank God God is powerful and you you have that virtue young people wonderful beautiful people and I want to meet you and even the young man who's a lawyer and I you really have inspired and I even cried Really, really, because, because whenever you find young people like you, that's when we are motivated. And so we find out that nothing is impossible for no one, no human being. So thank you. Gracias. Do we have another question? Hello, good morning. Mark Riccobono from the United States of America. Uh, first of all, let me uh, congratulate the panel on an outstanding presentation. Uh, congratulations to each of you for the work that you're doing. I wish that I would have had the confidence uh, that you have at your age. You are going to be tremendous uh, leaders for our movement going forward. The question that I have for you is, if each of you could uh, talk a little bit about Um, what you would like to see people do to help bridge the gap between generations. So we always have the challenge of um, uh, young people who have fresh, new, great ideas, but not uh, the experience of time in history. 
balanced against uh, people that have had many experiences, have helped to build a movement and understanding about blindness across the world, but also the limitation that that experience uh, to some degree limits their perspective on what's next. And so maybe you could talk about from your perspective, what would be helpful in opening up that dialogue so there can be greater sharing between the generations and we can leverage experience with new ideas? Who would like to start? Okay, Yushimi. Thank you very much for the question. Um, To bridge between the gaps of the generation is really critical situation, critical problem, I feel. Because I myself, I have to admit that I had never belonged to any blind associations, neither in Japan nor Thailand. Um, I think one of the problems nowadays is that we don't have so-called special schools as much as we used to have. So we are more and more integrated and included into the mainstream school system. So, for example, in Japan, I see we, can, we are not really connected between us with the same generation, even with the same generation, because we don't know the other blind people in other schools. So I see that, for example, there are some camps and activities across schools, both special schools and inclusive schools, that invite visually impaired people of the same age to get involved and then create a network and then bring that network close to the uh, national and international level associations. I think this might be the most reasonable way to do it, one of the most reasonable ways to do it. With the help of things like social media, I think this is quite um, possible. And thank you very much for paying attention to this issue. I think this is really, really important issue across the world. Thank you. <laughs> Molly or Jason? Yeah, thank you so much for the question. Um, I think this is really a hot, um, I mean, a difficult issue to be, to be solved. But at this moment, I am... I'm seeing that um, both uh, in the national level or international level are, are putting, putting more focus on the youth uh, voices. Well, what, what I may suggest to do is to, um, I mean, in the first place, youth should stand up for ourselves. Uh, when you stand up for ourselves, showing the ability to the other generations, uh, I, I may say it's maybe the older generation, they can see that they, they might get confidence on us. Uh, after all, we got some, something done. Like uh, in Hong Kong, I was the um, uh, chairperson of a committee. And after all, they, they can see that, oh, you can also lead the committee to strive for the um, equal rights for youth with visual impairment, then they are confident to do so. So I think youth should stand up for themselves first and speak up 
and be confident. And then I think the next, I mean, the other generation will believe in us. Thank you so much. Uh, as I spoke about, I think it's really important to stand up for what you're passionate about or what you believe in. But I also think it's very important to take the time to sit back and to listen to the other side. Um, so I think just being mindful of both sharing your own opinion, but being open to listening and open-mindedly listening, not just passively listening to what the other side has to say. And then finding a way to meet, meet in the middle, meet each other halfway. Thank you. Uh, morning, Kathy Donaldson from South Africa. I, uh, part of my question has been uh, replied to. We in South Africa have many rural areas and our youth needs encouragement. And I would like to ask the panel how they would suggest that we get our youth vibrant and going in South Africa. Thank you. Uh, I think there is, there's multiple things. I think for, for me it was connecting with other blind and visually impaired people um, who inspired me and who kind of lit my fuse when I felt so diminished by my bullies and by my vision loss. And connecting with other su successful blind and visually impaired people who, who showed me that I could do that too and I could move past my challenges. Um, and for me, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, in rural communities, it's, it's harder to do that. And so for me, the Internet was like a savior. Um, being able to join Facebook groups for other people losing their vision to the same disease as me, connecting with other guide dog users around the world on Facebook groups. So when my first guide dog passed away, I had other people I could connect with because I didn't know anybody in real life who had lost a guide dog. And so it was things like that that really, really helped me. And, I mean, that's why I write a blog, and that's why I make YouTube videos. It's to educate the, the sighted public, but it's also to connect with my fellow blind people um, because I think it's so crucial to, to be a part of your blind community. I've learned so much from other blind people and they continue to inspire me and push me forward. And, um, you know, I always say that the reason I share my story so publicly is because I want to be the role model that I didn't have. I want to be the role model for young people that I needed, but nobody was out there doing that for me. I had to really search for it. So that's why I do what I do. And I think I would encourage um, young people who are kind of fizzled out and can't find their spark or their fire to move forward to really find a blind community that they can really connect with. And, and if they're living in a rural community, that might just have to be online. Yeah, I also share with you, Molly, uh, for your thoughts of um, like uh, interacting through online. Technology really helps a lot to communicate over the world. And um, from my experience of uh, interacting with uh, people uh, within the region or around the world, I learned a lot. I learned a lot how to overcome, overcome different obstacles, uh, maybe resulting from our blindness. 
So uh, in, in response to your question, I think um, going online and connecting with um, WBU Youth Engagement Committee and, um, and I, I and other members, I believe I and other members are very willing to share much on the issue. Thank you. <clears throat> yes, I, I can't agree with uh, Molly and Jason more that we need to be connected to role models. I, now I see that the, the, the problem is how do we get this online issue to the rural areas where they might not have internet connection or they, they might even know how to use the um, devices that allows us to go online. I think uh, there are different ways to go around it. For example, if you don't have the online uh, atmosphere, I mean uh, the environment at the moment, start with mobile phone, like connections with a mobile phone, mobile phone talking groups. I think those are the things that we used to do before online Facebooking era. And I think why not uh, reviving it if it's still, uh, it, it, it's still helpful. Another way is to get the online or internet uh, training, ICT training available by uh, something like a mobile camp. This is also a possibility in case of uh, uh, the situation in which the blind people are scattered around the country and it's too much, uh, too costly to bring all of them to one place. Uh, then uh, mobile camps that teaches uh, basic ICT skills might be of help in some situations. But the key, I think, is really information and connection. I think um, it has been a long week. Some of us are tired. Specifically, apparently, Gallup and Lucy, who are up here under the table sleeping. Um, I think what I'd like to ask the speakers to do is if you can stay for a few minutes up by the front of the room and then people can come and ask them questions individually. I think that might be helpful. Uh, we have a tea break coming up. I would just like to say that I think that it is so impressive that we have such powerful uh, youth that can come up here in such a dynamic way and express themselves so well, so let's give them all a round of applause. I think, I think it's important for us to remember as adults that we may have the experience and years of knowledge behind us, but the creativity that we used to have is now in our young people, and I am often saying to my children, why should I expend all of my lack of energy convincing you that you shouldn't when you can expend your youthful energy convincing me that you can? And I think that that's a lesson for us to remember that these youth have the energy and the passion that we need in our, in our community to get us our better quality of life and we need to grab it use it and help us to gain our youthful inner people as well. I would like to ask Praveena now to say some closing remarks. Okay, I want to say thank you to our speakers. I, I think you were excellent, you were fantastic. I think you, 
you really did what we wanted you to do for the session. You brought everybody alive. You've brought everybody back to their youth. And I think you've really given us all something to think about. However, what I want to say and what I've gleaned from the various presentations is the following. I think, and, and listening to, to people like Aubrey yesterday and, and Colin and Aunt, etc., we have so much of knowledge in, the, in, in our current officials that are leading the blindness sector. We have to have all of you that are in, the, in this room who have been in the sector for years to take the responsibility to empower us as youth, to mentor us, to be able to fill in your shoes when you finally leave this sector so we can take the bait and, and run with it. I think when, when I, when it's, you know, everybody says, you know, youth should, should take the initiative, etc. I agree with that completely. However, I believe that youth will not be able to take the initiative if they are not empowered. When I think of myself, when I was, in, in 2006, I was 26 years old, and I just came into ICVI, into the regional committee, etc. I was, I felt so out of my depth, I didn't even know whether I actually belonged there, and whether I, I was actually afraid to speak in case I said something that was completely out there, <laughs> completely wrong. And... Afterwards, because I was embraced by people like Larry and Colin and Dr. Mani and, and Francis, Nandini and, and Lucia, all the people of the executive of ICVI where I could sit and learn from them, it's actually empowered me in this past 10 years to get to where I am. And I believe that every, all, everyone in national organizations in your countries and in internationally need to take under your wing someone who you see potential in to empower, to give them, to be the wind beneath their wings. Um, yeah, thank you. Stephanie, we have a couple of announcements. Um, the delegate from Lesotho, Jermaine Peter Teal, lost his passport. If you have found it, please bring it to the welcome desk or the WBU office in room 247. Also, please be sure to return your simultaneous translation receivers, if you're finished with them, to the table just outside this room. Um, if you are going to be using it for the next session or this session this afternoon, please be sure to return it after that. Thank you. Uh, sorry, there's one final announcement. Uh, one o'clock today will be the cutoff time for people to hand in resolutions at the registration desk um, for ICEVI as we will be finalizing our resolutions for our General Assembly tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and again, as mentioned at the beginning, if you are a chair of a region for ICEVI, please meet Francis at the back of the room right now, please. Enjoy your tea break. All right. We are on tea break, and this is the final tea break for this year's uh, WBU session. There will not be an afternoon tea break. Lunch has been cut short by 30 minutes so 
We're going to be coming back on at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time for the closing ceremonies. But uh, don't go away. Uh, we've got... Uh, we might have an interview for this uh, well, morning's tea break. I, th I think that my interviewee from China found herself not able to do so at the last minute. Mm, okay. So that is not going to happen for right now. But I did want to uh, speak for a moment uh, about this morning's speakers. Sure. Larry, you've been associated with a number of ACB affiliates over the years. Florida, Michigan, Illinois, correct? Uh, not Michigan, but, not Flor Michigan. but Florida and Illinois, Florida for sure. Florida and Illinois. And this whole issue of youth, an interesting one, is it not? Uh, absolutely, because I can relate to a lot of it because, you know, I went through the same thing of being bullied, you know, in a public school and then again at the Florida School for the Blind. And it was... We have a number of delegates here trying to uh, get some direction. Ah, okay. Okay, that's what's going on here. Yeah, but I can relate to that because you know it. It's not, you know, it's not something isolated to you know sighted people bullying blind people. You know, blind people do it to each other too. Oh yes, it, it seems to be something that happens as as a matter of growing up and youth, um, and some people never grow out of it. That is being the bully or right. or the bullied person, and it, it's always. You know, strums the heartstrings, so to speak, to hear people give their stories as that young lady did to, for Absolutely. us this morning. Yeah. Now, it's not always a matter of bullying. Sometimes um, the issue is teaching young people to take appropriate risk so that what you know later as an adult was a minor incident doesn't become a life defining incident. So being able to protect yourself, to put right. things into perspective, those kinds of things. Not not an easy thing to teach, but an important thing to teach and early in life. Right. I mean, because it, it happened when I was younger, but as I went up through middle school and high school, it didn't happen so much. That's right. There's a bit of geek in all of us, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yep. Sometimes we do walk around with a target on our back. Uh, yeah. Uh, and... We have to learn, you know, to both avoid those situations, um, not to define ourselves as a result of those situations, and not, and this I think is probably the most important thing, not to lash back and become a bullier right. as, as a, a reaction to that experience. Right, right. So the other thing that was here was all this issue of how do we incorporate youth into our organizations in a way that both allows them to be a full participant in the management of our organizations, but also taking into consideration, you know, the difference between youth and enthusiasm and age and experience. Yeah, and one thing that comes to mind with me is, you know, we need more of the youth in there. Um, and I know a lot of the more experienced folks one of the hardest things for them and you know I find it with myself with some things too is letting go uh, to you know when to step back and and then take more of a coaching role so to speak and you know let them learn 
You know, everybody's going to make mistakes from time to time. And the key part of that is to learn from them. Exactly. I would say that it's important to realize that in the same way that age in and of itself is not a qualification for leadership, neither is youth in and of itself a qualification for leadership. The three people that we had up there today clearly earned their way. Absolutely, they did. They clearly are stellar examples of, of people who know that before you can be a leader, you have to be a worker. They also are, are very clear communicators, which really matters quite a bit in the whole process of leadership. And I think also that you can tell by the quality of their preparation for presenting to us this morning is they understand that, that a great deal of what happens, the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, was today's presentation. The real work was all of the preparation they did to prepare for that presentation this right. morning. Right. And a great deal of leadership does not happen in the public eye. It does not happen uh, in a glamorous, gee, I'm speaking uh, before X number of hundreds of people kind of thing. It's, it's, it's that whole process of realizing the nuts and bolts hold the ship together, not just the captain at the helm. Right. Boy, am I full of analogies this morning. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm really impressed with them. Larry, when did you first get involved as a member of the blindness community? I would say probably in the early 2000s. Um, and how old were you at the time? I was in my early 30s. So one of the other things that I think our listeners need to understand is the world definition of youth. I think that people may be misunderstanding and thinking that we are talking about children. But when the world talks about youth, youth extends into the 30s. Yes. Uh, and as a result of that, we are not talking about putting at the helm of any, any of our actions, you know, very immature people. These are full adults. They happen to be adults at the beginning of their adult lives rather than those who've got you know, decades of experience at doing with what needs doing within the WBU and its member organizations. I think uh, the youngest one of those was 22, correct? Yes, Molly. Molly being 22. Right. Um, so, again, we're ta not talking about people who are high schoolers at this point in terms of leadership, though I do think, quite honestly, that leadership begins quite early. I know my first involvement with ACB was as a high schooler involved with a, a group called the uh, Oregon Alliance of Blind Students and then re-entered that organization when I was a college student and kept within ACB from there forward. When you take a look at some of the people who have been leaders in ACB, you'll see that a number of them started in the student side of things. Yeah. But they eventually did become that president. Our current president, Kim Charlson, absolutely involved as a very young person uh, in that Oregon Alliance of Blind Students and then Oregon Council and on and on. The same thing can be said for Chris Gray, a former president of the student group and eventually president of both the state affiliate and then later the national organization. So youth do need to have a bit of seasoning to them. 
but seasoning early in life is probably a better option if we're really wanting to develop leaders rather than waiting for people to reach their full majority, uh, if that's possible. The other thing we have to keep in mind, don't you think, Larry, is how, what percentage of the blindness community are youth? Oh, that's a good question um, because youth can be a very broad term because, you know, either you talk about children or teens or young adults or... But we do know one thing, and that is more than half of the blindness population in the developed world, at least, are 65 years of age and older. That's true. So if you're going to have an organization that's a membership organization and you're going to have its governance be reflections, you know, its governing entities being similar to the entity that it's governing then you should expect that there'll be probably older people in leadership. And it's the trick of having older leaders there representing that constituency while younger leaders are there representing that constituency. It's not a let's all decide that anybody over the age of 50 is is older and we need to give everything over to the hands of, of youth. It's really the mix that needs to be there in terms of leadership within the blindness system, uh, especially in terms of membership. If it's going to be that the governance reflects the membership, then that's an important part of it. Yeah. I, I think this, this is, I love coming to conferences where the speakers bring up thought-provoking things uh, this morning. Yeah, and something like this obviously did that. Absolutely. You saw a number of, of people who have earned their place in leadership in the WBU and in the membership organizations out there speak highly of what the presenters had to say, asked some pretty pertinent questions, but you could tell that they were also very emotionally involved in this. Uh, some of them experienced the same kind of thing in their youth, though they're now, uh, like me, a little bit longer in the tooth. Nonetheless, they definitely could respond and react uh, both intellectually and emotionally to the words spoken from the podium this morning. Let's see, what do we have on the agenda for the next session, Larry? Well, let's see. I'm going to turn the microphone 90 degrees or 45 degrees to the other person here at the table, Kim Charlson. Hello. Let me see what the the next session is about. It's it's more um, more on the theme of youth leadership and empowerment, and it looks a bit to me as if we're going to turn to a, a more um, South America, Latin America approach with uh, Maria Cristina Sanz, who's the regional chairperson of ICEVI in Latin America as the, the leader. And we have, um, looks like, three topic speakers, as we did for the previous session. Um, participation and empowerment of adolescents and youth with visual impairments. The speaker is Martias Ferreira and Uriel Wickman and, uh, from MATE network and Tiflo Ox Civil Association. So, 
familiar with that one. <laughs> no, and Can then... Can you tell by the name of the country, do you think? Um, it looks Latin American to me, but uh, I can't specify where. Then we have institutional leadership, and the speaker will be Carlos Perani and Natalie um, Goya and Fernando um, Galarrega. And they've spoken previously during the general session. They're the three members of the Scientific Technical Committee for ULAC, which is the Union of Latin American Countries. And then the third speaker in that segment will be um, Youth Engagement in Europe and the World. And the speaker is Jessica Schroeder. And Jessica is the head of international relations for um, Deutscher Blinden und, um, and a very long German word I could never even <laughs> begin to say, uh, but that's part of the World Blind Union um, and European Blind Union. Schimbendergertenverband. There. I'm sure that's just absolutely horrendous job, but it must have 50 letters. It's a really long word. <laughs> so that'll be our 11 to 12.30 session. So it sounds like we'll get some additional good perspective on youth engagement in, in our organizations in the blindness community. Absolutely, and that'll, of course, be the final um, concurrent session and then of course they'll have the closing ceremonies this afternoon from two to four so kim as a leader in acb what is your biggest issue relative to youth in the organization and this whole concept of um, developing the leaders of tomorrow by working with them today well, I definitely believe in succession planning, and part of that is engagement of younger people in the activities of the organization. And I think that that is done in a collaborative way. Um, there's opportunities for experienced leaders to mentor younger leaders, but there's also um, providing opportunities for younger leaders to to step up and lead the, in the organization. And I think both of those things are equally as important. And um, depending on the, the skill sets and the interests and the aptitudes of, of um, any given individual, my hope is to try to find a good fit for that person within ACB leadership and encourage and um, engage them in, in service to the organization. Now, when you talk about involve them in ACB leadership, you know, we do have only a, a, a limited number of slots on the ACB National Board and on the ACB National uh, Board of Publications, the elected and appointed offices at that level. But when you talk about leadership development, you're talking about at the committee level? Absolutely, at the ACB committee level. Um, most of the work of the organization happens within its over 40 different committees, but also leadership needs to happen at the affiliate level as well. So we have special interest affiliates that are very um, good opportunities for 
uh, people to engage in being part of what those organizations do in leadership and state affiliates. State affiliates have to think about their succession planning and their future leaders as well and really encourage youth to take um, leadership roles and to serve the organization and you know my my additional guidance to established leaders is you know take a chance and and give youth an opportunity to try things in your affiliates because that's where they're going to most likely get a start Um, people don't just pop up at the national level there's usually um, a a bit of a a leadership track and that comes from the local to the state to the national level and having opportunities at this at the local and state regional levels are very good opportunities to get youth engaged in convention planning legislative activities public relations there's a lot of good growth opportunities there to help local affiliates. One of the things that um, one of the speakers, in fact, one of the questioners asked is this careful balance between uh, not just handing things over to youth, but rather mentoring them in the process of that handing over, uh, acknowledging that uh, we're not going to be here forever, and you know, those who preceded us, many of them are no longer with us. So we need to be really conscious about this whole process of succession planning. That does not mean creating heir apparents, where you focus all of your responsibilities and all of your interest in one individual, uh, because we do have democracy within our organizations. There's the whole electoral process for elective office. As a result of that, you really need to be careful that you create systems for people to develop the skills necessary to carry on. I know I've always been a big believer in vice chairs of of chapters, of, of everything, so that there's an opportunity not only for a fallback in case the person who's supposed to be the lead comes down ill or some family matter takes them away at just the wrong moment, So there's always that plan B person there. But that also acts as a great opportunity to mentor young leaders. Um, And again, when we talk about young, we can, depending on the nature of the individual activity, be quite young. Or it could be somebody, again, in their 20s and 30s, as opposed to somebody entering the whole process in their 40s and 50s. I thought that the the questioner that that mentioned that this morning about you know not just kind of saying oh there's someone young I can turn this over to them and drop it in their lap and walk away <laughs> and uh, I have to admit that there were a few occasions in in my growth and in, in development and leadership where where the established leader was so happy to just kind of say here this is your job and disappear and um, and I don't think that's very effective leadership transitioning it it really needs to have the the opportunity for the new person to to ask questions and um, you know phone calls emails whatever it needs to be to the person who might have done the task previously to ask for input guidance 
direction um, and and not just to be sort of cut a, adrift and say here's your job now you just go off and, and make sure it happens without that support there's one more aspect I'd like to to bring up in this sh short discussion and that is we really do press our young people to excel it takes quite a bit to be a successful blind person in your own right uh, you heard the the struggles in being a mainstreamed student uh, the only blind person in a high school of blind pe of sighted people the only blind person in many many arenas so certainly it is important for there to be mentoring and that means blind adults mentoring blind youth but there's also this issue that what makes for a success if you are a blind person is working separate of your blindness you know we talk about in fact my my previous boss always talked about dot coms dot govs and dot orgs and he felt very strongly that we needed to push blind people toward dot coms that is f the for profit world and i had many a discussion with him about the importance that blind people if unless they want things done for them have to acknowledge that they are a blind person there is value in associating with other blind people uh, i think the, the young lady from japan indicated that she's never been a member of a blindness organization so certainly there are going to be those who can go out there and crusade for important things without association but we need to work with blind youth to show them the value of making part of their lives the blindness side if you will doesn't mean that all of your friends have to be blind but it does mean that some of them need to be blind for you to do two things one learn by by uh, imitation that's one of the things we animals do is learn by imitation and secondly to pay forward with your efforts because the things that the previous generation have brought things like detectable warnings audible traffic signals accessible ATMs web standards for accessibility and those are the modern ones those aren't the things such as the white cane law and the guide dog laws and and these kind of things those just, just didn't happen because they were the right thing there was a lot of work involved in doing that and as the world changes more and more rapidly we need to make sure that the youth understand that they have some responsibility some responsibility for the world that they're allowing to happen so they need to advocate as blind people as well as be successful as individuals yeah because unfortunately do, is it no and unfortunately it's something that's gonna have to continue to happen because you know if we go lax on this a lot of those things will go away there's plenty of lobbyists out there who you know are lobbying for their own interest and don't care who it affects and you know we have to make sure our needs and our rights are, are met protected. and protected absolutely well we were uh, the speaker yesterday afternoon kevin carey carey mm -hmm. when he was speaking he said you know yes it's important to have that accessible atm that talks but the world is going to mobile devices as our banking devices and 
you know, that's not something that my generation put together. It's something this generation, the one that's going to live with it, or some variant of it, probably for the, for the rest of their lives, they need to take some ownership about making sure that that part of their lives will be accessible. You can't just assume the ATM will always be there. You have to be advocating for the next round of change. Uh, I'm passionate about cooking, and as a result, I'm passionate about accessible home appliances. And we're backsliding in that direction. And it's not so much that we didn't advocate for the right thing at the right time. We did. But the world time is change. changing. Times change. Times change. So you have to be thinking always about that next thing that needs your advocacy. Uh, I was, of course, very moved by uh, the discussions yesterday about human rights and moving it up from getting access to particular services and up to saying that uh, full inclusion in our society, education, employment, social engagement, etc., is a human right. Absolutely true. But you know, you got to go in there and advocate for the things that make a difference to you. Uh, it was many years ago that I spoke before the state legislative committee that funded libraries for the blind. And uh, the hall was filled with uh, 1,500 advocates for different human services related programs, everything from uh, teenage mothers to uh, veterans suffering from Agent Orange poisoning, just a whole wide variety of things. And each one of them got up and spoke about their issue. And when the hall was virtually empty, I was the last speaker, and I had to speak on funding of libraries for the blind. Now, our libraries, by definition, are supposed to be, I'm talking about the NLS, National Library Services for the Blind and Physically Handicapped uh, network of regional libraries, are supposed to be recreational libraries. So after hearing all of these people with nearly life and death kind of issues speak, it was my turn to speak at the end. I said, I don't envy you elected officials having to pick and choose between what you've heard here today. But I have a constituency, and that constituency needs your help. I, as a blind person, am here to tell you that blind people need access to reading, even if you call it recreational reading, it's social engagement. It's being able to read things that the sighted world around you are reading and reacting to. It's becoming a, a well-informed member of the electorate, those kinds of things. So we need to make sure that the youth have opportunities to learn how to advocate, not for a particular topic, though that's, that's where you get to do it, but rather to learn how to advocate and encourage them to be part of our community. <laughs> but I, I'm passionate about this, and I think you are too, are you not, Kim? I mean, this, this is such an important thing for it, us to be involved with. It absolutely is, and, and uh, it's something that, that I work at quite often to make sure that, that we give people opportunities to participate and that they're... They, that they don't feel like they're marginalized or pushed aside, that, you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. We have a structure to, to um, teach, learn, engage, 
people and and that's what you know I want to see happen in the American Council of the Blind and in the broader blindness community. You know, former president of ACB, Mitch Pomerantz, speaks of a book. It has bowling in the title. Do you recall what that, that book <laughs> bowling was? Bowling Alone, I bowling think. Bowling Alone. And it was all about how our communities at large are less and less engaged in groups. And he points at examples of membership organizations with um, declining membership. Like Lions Clubs and Elks and Kiwanis and fraternal clubs like that that were very strong in this in the 50s 60s 70s have really started to show a decline in their memberships um, because people are engaged in society in different ways than they were um, 20 30 years ago exactly we heard that from the young people on the stage this morning their engagement with one another frequently is online mm -hmm. it's through email and texting yeah. and Facebook, etc. And, and that's going to be a hard thing to combat, especially with the blindness organizations, because, you know, they're seeing, you know, membership declining as well because of, you know, just because of the way society has changed. Everybody is communicating through all the electronic social medias and email and all that, as you've mentioned. Right. And it's important that we acknowledge that that's a reality of our world and find ways to allow that to create online communities that are still part of our community but are relevant but to what are people's relevant needs are today to what people's needs are mm -hmm. and the means in which they communicate you know it's wonderful that a person can live in a rural part of the world and still be connected to other blind people online that was not possible. You know, I was the only blind child in the school system I attended, and it had uh, four grade schools, two junior highs, and one high school. And I was the blind child during the uh, eight years that I passed through that system. So I was pretty isolated day-to-day uh, -day going to school. Now I would have the opportunity, because of social networking, to know other blind students going through similar life experiences as the ones I was going through. So I think that it's great that the WBU, uh, the American Council of Blind, all of the other membership organizations of blind people are trying to utilize these tools to continue to hold a community together. I think there's also this issue. Larry, how many things are you involved with in the course of a week? Many more things than yeah. you ever thought you would be, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. More than your parents did before you. They they tended to be very focused on a very few, what we would consider very few items. And I think yeah. this generation coming up is going to look at how little we were doing and wonder, what did we do with all that free time? Because they don't have that much no. free time. No. They're engaged from the moment they wake up to the moment they fall asleep. Uh, because, as you know, that mobile phone in your hand means you're never away from work. That's right. You're never away from community. Uh, there isn't a great deal of downtime in that universe. So I was thinking the other day about um, all the things that we took for granted as we were growing up that, you know, the neighbors took care of us. When we were in the neighborhood, neighborhood meant 
you know, as far as you could hear your mother's voice bellowing at the front porch to call you home. Is that right. how it was with you, Larry? Oh, yeah. That was called neighborhood. If, if yep. you, couldn't, you couldn't go beyond your mother's voice <laughs> at one point or another. That's well, the, the, the neighbors were now. always looking out for other kids. Nowadays, they, you know, it's very rare for you to know your neighbor. Exactly. And this is part of what we can't undo that. It simply is an aspect of our lives. So we need to find other ways to engage community. Neighborhood is not geographic any longer. It is communities built partially online, partially through association at conferences like this one. I mean, I've met friends here that I've met over the course of the past 30 years from, oh, maybe 20 different countries while here. And it's not that I go to these international conferences every year, but it's kind of these little time skips, isn't it? You, you see somebody today and you hadn't seen them for four years, but it takes about five minutes to become reacquainted. Well, yeah, because you've communicated them in with them time. in between time, you know, via email, via Skype, via, you know, all these different ways. So it's not like you have years of stuff to catch up on. Exactly. Kim, do you remember our first youth activities through the Oregon Alliance of Blind Students? Do I remember? <laughs> wow, give me Do a you hint. Remember? No, no, no. We we Trips tried to, to get together. Yeah, we tried to get together. Recreational, socially, right? social, as well as some kind of special project, you know, planning, um, a student awareness day or disability awareness day or something like that. But it was usually um, part of a recreational activity. That's how we kind of got things started with the students. That's right. And you had to think about, gee, I have to be away from my schooling. So you were really pressed to do things around that school calendar. Uh, you also had this issue of, of getting together physically. The, you know, nobody listening here who's part of the blindness community would doubt for one moment that one of the biggest things that affects our lives as blind people is transportation. How are you going to get there? Here's one thing that I always think about with, you know, the youth today, you know, they're used to their social media and all that stuff. Take them on a camping trip for a weekend and totally unplug them and see how well they they do. Because <laughs> I remember the Boy Scouts, you know, going camping a lot when I was uh, in high school. And, uh, you know, we learned how to live off the land and build you know, build a fire, sleep in a tent, and all that fun stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, and th this is Larry, Mr. Mr. Techno Geek over here, <laughs> yeah. saying this with fondness, yeah. right? Yeah. With fondness. Oh, yeah. So the trick is to try to develop community with all the tools available to us, make sure that that community is based on our commonality, uh, with respect for our diversity at the same time, the other thing that I think is going to be really interesting on an international basis is when language no longer is a primary uh, barrier to interaction. Being able to talk to my iPhone and have it translate what I'm saying into another language, that's pretty amazing. Uh, we had, at the beginning of this chit-chat here during this 30-minute uh, tea break, uh, a group of Spanish-speaking people stopped by 
looking for directions, Ken? Yes, they wanted me to interpret for them, and I'm woefully bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> so. But our tech can help us out in doing that. In fact, uh, I was speaking to a, um, a young man the other day from, I think it was from Malaysia, and he was saying that he uh, went to lunch, and there were two people out of six that didn't speak French, Spanish, or English. But between them, one could say something to the other who said something to the other who said something to the other. And while it wasn't a perfect translation, it was communications. So what, w and one of them was using an iPhone to say what they wanted to say in their native language and then let the voice of the iPhone, voiceover, speak the text translation to communicate. That's pretty amazing opportunity as a result of technology not to limit yourself just to those who speak your language at this point in time do you think that being young in the blindness system kim as well as being female is a double hurdle to cross well i think it's absolutely different um i mean molly's story was heart-wrenching and empowering to see where she's she's you know developed and grown and now she communicates and is a is a mentor and role model for you know thousands of other youth all around the world and I I think that um, you know the, the the toughest age is is you know the the adolescent years um, and that you know from 12 to 24, I'll stretch it a little bit, but those are growing years. They're, they're transitional for your adjustment to yourself, to your blindness, to your femaleness, if that's what you are. There's so much growth and development happening, and there's so many other pressures around that from, from the exterior world that, that are impacting everything you do during that time in your life pressures of classes pressures of social relationships the you know the in crowd the out crowd it's it's just amazing i don't think that i would ever want to go back to those times that they're tough and and um, they really are a building block for character and trying to cope and and there's so many obstacles that can be put in the way of a blind or visually impaired student at that age. Well, another thing that strikes me about the whole leadership question is, as, as you and I both have experienced, we've lived our entire adult lives associated with a consumer organization, the American Council of the Blind on all levels and special interests, et cetera, et cetera. It has been pretty much the center of our lives. To be a leader, in this day and age, do you think it needs to take that form to be successful? Or can it be more of a, and I don't mean this in a negative way, more of a part-time aspect of what you do rather than a full-time aspect of what you do? Well, I think that, that you know, the, the organizational movement that... Um, that I view as the, the blindness movement and, and my commitment is a pretty major part of who and what I am. 
but I would never say that it has to be everything because, you know, you have a career that you want to develop. Um, obviously, people have a family. They, have a, they could have a spouse. They could have children. It's, it's something that you have to figure out how to make the time and balance the time. And there may be a period in your, in your advocacy and consumer career where, you know, you may have to focus a little more on family, but as that levels out, you can come back to a, a more significant role in a, in a leadership capacity within your state affiliate when your children are grown or growing up and they're back in school and you have more time. And um, I don't have children, so that gives me a little extra leeway. Um, but I have some personal hobbies that I like. But certainly, I will say, being president of ACB does take a big amount of my time um, between a full-time career and ACB work. So um, sometimes my 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 fun activities um, get pushed a little bit to the wayside because I get a little engaged in all the things that I do for ACB as well. How about you, Larry? You know, you... You've worked in mainstream industry, correct? Yes, I have. And you're currently working as an employee of uh, the American Council of the Blind in your, yes. in your IT capacity. Yes. So how have you balanced the time you spend on the blindness side of your life versus the career side of your life? Well, I've, it's been interesting because... When I was working in the lot in the mainstream stuff, I really didn't do a whole lot on the blindness side. Uh, though I did keep in contact with the organization, you know, just to kind of keep tabs on what was going on in the blind blindness community. Um, when I worked for the insurance company up in Michigan, when I was working there, of course, I was the only blind person there and then my other hobby was uh, ham radio and I participated a lot in the local uh, ham radio club up there and it was really great how they accepted me as a person and not really so much you know as a blind person they were really interested in you know how I handled different uh, ham equipment because uh, there is a lot of it now that does have speech synthesizers in in it and I was able to you know operate a, a lot of it without any problem and of course that fascinated them um, and they invited me to go to field day and all those other great events and then you know when I started becoming more involved in the American Council of the Blind and ACB radio um, it started becoming, you know, almost a 50-50 mix because I was still working for mainstream at the time. I was working in here in Orlando at a company called Hewitt that does uh, benefits for different companies. You know, they maintain the benefit system for the employees of the different right. companies. And I still did a lot of mainframe programming then. So during all of that time, there was ebb and flow. Yeah. What percentage of yeah. your life was spent... Uh, dealing with the blindness side of you, if you will, right. and that that was the uh, employee, you know, earning a paycheck side of you mm -hmm. that wasn't blindness related, except in terms of the um, alternative means you had to 
employ to do that. Right. And now both your employment, your nine-to-five-ness, is primarily supporting a blindness entity. Mm-hmm. And your five-to-nine-ish, the other part of the clock, uh, is partially ACB-oriented because I know you, you take um, – a bit of the, your private time and invested into uh, the American Council of the Blind. But it doesn't always stay the same percentage. Life experience no. changes what you need at a given moment. Maybe your family. It's just like empty nesters. They get to a point where raising children doesn't eat up so much of their time, and they now have time that they could dedicate to a different pursuit. Or that mom who finally... Uh, can go back to work after her kids are old enough that they're going to go to school for the day, or maybe doesn't want to go back to work but wants to contribute in some fashion to her community, has the time to do that. So this whole process of how much time you can invest in being a leader uh, in these organizations, I think it's it's going to change by the nature of oh, yeah. how much time people are expected to put into employment expected to put into parenting, expected to put into uh, any number of other things. I was all, you know, I advocated for so much of my life to be able to have access more readily to the printed word. And now I'm having to share that access that we gained over all those years. We heard a number of presenters dealing with the Marrakesh Treaty. But how many hours a day do I currently spend reading? versus listening to podcasts versus going to a play or the movies. All these things we've advocated for access to now are having to, you know, shoulder one another aside to find time in my day to do them. Here's an interesting question I I always ask a lot of my blind friends. If you, for some reason, were able to keep your sight, what profession do you think you would have gone into? Larry, you've got to be careful when you ask me that kind of a question. <laughs> um, I was blinded when I was 11 years old, so I did right. grow up, you know, the, uh, a significant part of my life. My adolescence was as a yeah. blind person. What I wanted to be desperately before then was an archaeologist. Ah, okay. I like digging up things and trying to figure out where they came from and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. archaeology may have taken me, although I grew up in a very blue-collar family. And I really do think that the only reason I succeeded at funding a college education uh, in getting a chance to do the world travel, et cetera, et cetera, is as a direct result of my blindness. It actually benefited me, in my opinion. I, I, I hear that from a lot of successful blind people, that they, this blindness provided them options that their brothers and sisters I'm talking about their physical brothers and sisters did not have access to. And I probably, I, in fact, I know I would have either been an electrician or working in heating and air conditioning. So I always loved working on equipment like that. There you go. It looks like we're going to be coming back. Yep. We'll turn it back, you back to, to the podium. Latin America, I am going to be chairing this session where we are going to continue talking about youth issues. We have begun our morning with very touching and moving uh, stories.
of young people who have showed us something in which I have always believed, but after today, I have further ascertained young people are not the future. They are the present. A 22-year-old girl has showed us how empowered she really is. And I believe that all of us should learn to work in our organizations, adding to the youth who are already there because they are absolutely empowered and the presentations of this morning have further confirmed that. And the people who are not so young also have much to give of ourselves because we wish to do so, because we have gathered experiences and because we are willing to work all together. Therefore, my first invitation would be so that for once and for all, we learn to work, all of us collectively, adding the impulse, the energy that we get from our youth plus the experience and the force that years give us. I am going to present, today we have three presentations gathered at this table, the first of which it is empowerment and participation of youth and adolescents with visual impairness. This presentation is going to be done by Matias Ferreira and Uriel Weyman. They belong to the Reg Mate Nexus and they are going to tell us what this is. And I would like to say that since they are from Argentina, since I am from Argentina, I am a witness as to how this started in 1999, then with a young man called Pablo Licuona, who everybody knows him today because of his implications with the Treaty of Marrakesh today, Two young people from that organization who are very young, but who are already professionals in their field, are going to expose their story, and we are going to listen to them with utmost attention. I give you our next speaker. Good morning, all of us. And before all, I wanted to thank the Union, the World Union for Blind, for the invitation that we got to come here and share the stories of our work and especially thank Christina's words, which I believe are a bridge to what we are going to try to do during our expo today. Well, mainly, I am going to be telling you very briefly what our research is based on and what it was about. Our work has to do with the area of empowerment and youth participation of the project Red Mate. The Red Mate project is a project that arose about eight years ago whereby we have as an objective the educational inclusion of people who have visual limitations. And in this way, we have three axes of work. One axis or one pillar, which is based on the generation of, of bibliography and accessible format. A second axis based on the training 
of the young people who have visual limitations and the professionals with visual limitations. And the third axis, which is the one that we're going to work based on the participation of the youth and empowerment of such youth. After, based on the experience of over six years that we have been doing this project, we proposed to work on this, a treaty that base, is based on the work that we do fundamentally on the area of the excess of participation and youth empowerment. And in that sense, what we did was gather different experiences, work experiences of each one of the centers of which the Red Mate is composed of. And after gathering such experiences, we presented a work hypothesis. In honesty, we have a work hypothesis, and based on that, we did experiences. And our hypothesis is that after the participation of the youth, or based on the participation of the youth with visual limitations of red mate, this participation acted as a bridge towards empowering these youth in a twofold way. First of all, as empowerment, personal empowerment for auto-valuation of their capacities and the skills of the youth and in the second way with an empowerment in the sense of political participation for the youth that have visual limitations in different areas. Presented, once our work was presented, I am going to leave you with Uriel who is going to give us comments on some of the experiences that we have gathered and a little bit based on the framework upon which we have acted. Very well. Thank you and good morning to all of you. Thank you, Cristina, and thank you, Matias, for getting us started with this expo. As my co-worker said, we are going to begin by describing a little bit and in a brief manner the theoretical framework that we have used for our work, which mainly is based on a work of an author by the name of Carvalho, who has written about community health and on the framework of community health, we have developed the concept of empowerment, which is the one, as we called in Spanish, empoderamiento. He tells us a little bit that he understands empowerment in a two-way. On a first instance, a psychological empowerment. A secondly, a social empowerment. When we talk about psychological empowerment, we talk about understanding that the subject, the participant, it has to establish and share spaces with other young people, whether it be in organizational areas, socially, with human uh, human rights. He starts recognizing and understanding the skills that he has, acknowledging his own skills, in order to develop more autonomy and starting to build something from zero to collective with the rest of his co-workers. And once we understand what social empowerment is it has to it has to do with embracing this psychological empowerment but also on the basis of a more collective construction and more of an incident socially psycholo socially politically 
of the people. In this way, we have gathered a little bit and we have developed further our work hypothesis. Also, to give close to this area, I would like to comment that we have described furthermore what we understand as participation, which has to do with sharing certain spaces where you can act with others and develop a critical aspect of what surrounds us, of our society, the spaces in which we are involved, and start thinking collectively what it is that we want to do to transform a little bit our reality and our context. Then following with the punctual experience, talking about Red Mate and the empowerment and participation, we are going to give some notions and some experiences of the work that we have developed some five years ago from the beginning or the inception of of this axis of impl implementing this axis of empowerment and as Matthias said There are several mate centers linked to different organizations for people who have visual limitations or other institutions where, where people with limitations, visual limitations participate, which would be in the city of Buenos Aires, the civil society in Cordova, from the National University of Cordova, the Department of Community Sciences, the Civil Association of Low Vision Tucumán in the province of Tucumán, Argentina, and finally, the co-workers and co-founders of the union, the National Union for Blinds in Montevideo. In all of these different centers, empowerment has been taking place in different ways. If we see, for example, the example of Cordoba, we have lived different examples, different uh, examples with building, for example, a radio program directed and organized and managed by the youth themselves. The youth themselves have been able to secure a space in a community radio to put together a one-hour-a-week one program where they can share different areas having to do with uh, limitations, especially visual limitations or visual handicap, and also to be able to live and experience professionally because these are all communication, social communication students. At the other centers, we have developed other activities, such as, for example, uh, different workshops, uh, recreational activities, camping activities, which allow the socialization of people with handicaps and the Standing a little bit and shedding light on the experiences that we all live and And in another sense, we have even organized many more gatherings, general gatherings, talking about the project, where not only we can share these experiences and these life situations that every person lives, but also in order to be able to train ourselves and empower ourselves precisely in reference to human rights of other techniques that have to do with using new technology, with communication tools and others. All of this is... All of this reminds us once again which were these five years of experience that we have had. This work has been merely a beginning, an, invest an investigation on this process, but we believe that... 
in this sense, this first area is just for us to understand what has been empowering on the social participation of subjects, which has gathered experiences which allow us to understand in which way the youth can reflect upon their context and in which way they can start organizing and meeting with other subjects, with other co-workers who share our, who share our reality and how we can work together to make projects that can allow us to transfer and change, to transform our reality so that it can be more inclusive. Now I leave you again with Matias, who's going to talk a bit about the political incidents of empowerment well thank you and to conclude with our presentation I am going to briefly touch upon this second bridge that uh, we were talking about at, about the hypothesis the hypothesis of the political participation and the work on social incidents done by the youth in this sense we we were able to safeguard two human uh, rights, the political participation of people, particularly the Article 99 of the Convention and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We based ourselves mainly on these human rights, which we understand as basic and fundamental, in order to understand what we see as the effective participation in the space of the making of decisions. We believe this concept is important in order to understand how this social participation of the uh, youth with limitations, with visual limitations, has really worked as a bridge for them to participate politically. We have gathered some experiences of the youth involved in the project because of their political participation and we found basically participation of young people in the political parties of Argentina, political parties of Uruguay, the youth participation in groups and student groups from universities and colleges and high schools. And basically, the part, the base, the strongest presence in organizations that have to do with the making of decisions and also civil organizations. Fundamentally, in organizations of people who have limitations or handicaps. Before going forward, I think it's also important to talk about the experience we have had with the uh, participation of youth with limitations in political uh, political groups where new methodologies have been attained by accountability, horizontal account accountability in um, electoral moments, pre-votation and post-votation based on the participation of, of a person with limitation during those processes. And going back to the latter, it is also clear that many youth from the project which is part of the executive committee of ULAC, were also part of the Federation of Youth, of Blind Youth of Argentina. And this 
talks about the strength of the project to promote the political participation of the youth on one hand, and on the other hand, the opening of these organizations that I just named in order to promote, as Christina said at the beginning, to promote that these youth who have the desire to participate, who want to make changes in the reality that they live, so that this can happen in an organization which allows that to happen. And to conclude a little bit with our presentation, we have found several conclusions which have to do with one part, with uh, one side, so that this project or this experience that we understand as being very positive, on one hand, it establishes the opening of the organizations, as I just said, in order to allow the participation and the empowerment of the young people, and on the other hand, the visibility of whom started this project, understanding the need of or preparing us for this challenge on the one hand, and especially based on the dialogue, the critical dialogue, the youth can empower ourselves in these senses that I had just described. And finally, I believe it is fundamental that we affirm here that the participation and empowerment of the youth is not only a fundamental human right and a basic human right, but it is also something that we have to understand as an obligation for everybody who participates in organizations so that the youth with visual limitations are not only empowered and participating in our small groups, but that we can also enrich in society as a whole. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Matias and Uriel. And as we said from the beginning, here it holds true. The youth are the present and a wonderful present indeed. Now let us continue with the second presentation, which is of, a lead, of leadership, institutional leadership on from the scientific committee of the Latin American of blind people. And this will be under the direction of Carlos Ferrari from Brazil and Natalia Guara, who is Uruguayan and Argentinian. You have the microphone. Who's going to speak first? Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to greet all the people who are here present and on behalf of our table coordinator, Christina, or our chairperson, Christina, who has done a fantastic work and also in the entire movement for blind people in Latin America. I also wanted to thank the presence uh, to for you to be here and to listen to us and to say that speaking of leadership at a table that has 
as its main subject the issues pertaining the youth it is really quite it is really quite challenging for us it is challenging because everything that we did in the last years the work of the scientific committee scientific and technical committee of ULAG has the perspective of speaking with the youth with the latin american youth in other words to establish a methodology which will allow to respond to the expectations of the youth and which can stimulate them within their organization to participate in a more effective way in a way that it is something pleasant something that they enjoy so that they say I want to be here because it is good to participate on this methodology because this is something that talks to me and makes me feel part of this. So what we're going to do today is, is share with you how we think he thought about this work which started in 2013 and the second part of this work and tell you as well how we see that we can continue with this, of course, counting on the support, not only of the people from Latin America, but also from other countries in order to take this methodology forward. Well, it is important to indicate that we started to implement this work with two key decisions. The first of which is to think that the participation must be, must be a fundamental basis. We cannot think about a movement of blind people without involving, truly involving people who are disabled. Therefore, for us, for us in order to be able to create strategies and a methodology that has the condition of stimulating the best possibilities for participation was that was our first decision, our first key decision that is. And the second decision was to plan to work having a a work plan that could facilitate our work and for this we decided in 2013 we were talking about this we decided to know and to investigate what is it that organizations do what is it that organizations for people who with visual limitations what do they do it, this may seem simple but it's quite complex especially if we're going to be asking the youth the youth which many times are not in our organizations what do our organizations do well we could say many things even at some moments they could even say well i don't know that is why to perform uh, an investigation and to delve with a with a tool prepared for this investigation for thus for this this was an advantage because it allowed the people who answered our questioning to really debate amongst themselves 
to reflect and ponder and think, what is it that we're doing? Are we, for example, working alongside with the object, uh, the objectives of developing, of developing, which is what we had at the time as our interest? Are we doing, are we truly doing actions for defense and, uh, and right, we are working really with young people. We have problem. We have programs. Do we have programs that allow them to feel included in our work? Are we involving women with with uh, with disabilities? Do we have an area where we examine the issue of gender? For example, how many women are leading are are being leaders in organization? How many of the women are really in a position of power to be part of the decision making processes? All of these questions. And then Natalia is going to, Agual is going to speak a little bit about the results. All of these questions made it, prepared the foundation so that when we could go to the nine countries in Latin America, the conversation would be quite more intense and uh, hotter, so to speak, and a conversation structured in order to have as a result proposals for us to continue forward with our work. So we thought about a methodology in the first place which which is born from a question, from a burning question. Who are organizations? Who are our organizations and what do they do? Our tool in the in, at first hand, many people said, "Well, this is complex, too many questions." But then later, they understood that this was indeed necessary. It is necessary, and we continue. We need to continue with this. After that, the second issue, with this information at hand, to continue on to the debate. But all of this, it wasn't just. Was, all of this was not enough. Also, we structured as part of this work the premise of working and connecting the different subjects for the convention, the International Convention for ONU for the Rights of People with Disabilities. And Article 29, for example, in many countries where we visited, was worked upon because the people of the country said, we want to speak about this. And we want to know, we want to be able to think, how can we propose new strategies in order to stimulate the internal participation in our movement and later how to be able to extract results based on the leadership of our countries. So the idea of participation along with the capacity of making proposals together with the possibility of having debates has made this methodology a true powerful tool so that countries could identify proposals in order to take the next steps. 
we from the technical scientific uh, committee OLAC have the clarity, the conviction that we need to push leadership is not something that can be intuitive just because a plan is necessary. Methodologically speaking, there needs to be a structure that responds to the expectations of the youth. The youth that today have in their hands many, many technologies and who expect from us who are planning, planifying the movement new possibilities to be within the movement. Another premise which correct, another premise which for us was fundamental is to take to the countries the participating countries in this process to respond to our surveys, a structure which is also uh, formative. For us, it may be simple when we talk about international conventions, when we talk about the ODMs, when we talk about the CIF, about the cl international classification, and we can go on. It may seem simple because this is, it makes the language, the language that we speak in our day-to-day -day from work. But when we get to the basis, many times this has to be translated. We have to put it in a language that truly can be understood, that can be present, that says, okay, this has to do with what I am living in my everyday, what I do at home, what I do with my expectations at work, etc. So it is good to ask, it is good to invite people to make more proposals. And for us, it was clear that it was fundamental to take a training moments, moments of exposing our knowledge. Knowledge is more than that, a change in knowledge. Natalia is also going to tell us about fantastic experiences that we lived where the young people and the people in general were able to see that they had within their network enormous possibilities for knowledge and that they had no time to change this. They had no time to know that a person of another organization could contribute so much. For example, in order to establish a, a strategy for generating new jobs for people with disabilities. So have the knowledge as a structure, as a basis of our methodology. I believe that that was a quite important decision in order for us to have success in building this program. I personally am sure that this methodology, which was already tested in nine countries and which we want to take to another ten countries, can get uh, can reach not only Latin America for us. It would also, it would be something fantastic to have an alliance with countries in Africa and Europe 
North America, Caribbean, Asia, the whole world, because it would be not only taking the methodology, it's also the possibility of improving ourselves and making this methodology even better with the contribution, with the collaborative contribution, with the participation of other people as well. This this is why participation for us represents an important value of our mission. I want to also say that when we came here to share the methodology based on premises with a, a methodological basis, when we say that it is fu fundamental to have diagnoses, to have debates with proposals, to have plenaries where we can arrive at decisions, when we can say that it's basis, we have the knowledge as a basis and also as a value, we are saying in summary that this could be a, um, a, a structural base for for a journey towards our movement because what we have what we are looking for with all of this is really strengthening of our organizations and and the uh, reaction of people with disabilities. We believe that leadership is born and is strengthened and gains strength and is embodied in the same measure in which we uh, bring force to the movement itself. So our skills individually, of course, are very important and we have to always look for improving this. But we also have to remember our main commitment is towards the movement. And now I'm going to pass the microphone to Natalia, who is going to share with you some of the experiences of these nine countries. Tell us the main challenges that we still have ahead of us. And I apologize once more and thanking you and inviting you to come with us so that we can continue furthering this methodology to other parts in the world and making participation an element of transformation for our movement for blind people everywhere. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. And thank you very much for the opportunity of being here and sharing our experiences of all these years of work and this, this table with our, our fellow co-workers and, um, and different activities uh, throughout many years. So as Carlos was saying, we have um, proposed ourselves to be able to do this initial process of diagnosis and then also, the, then a concrete proposal from that point of view of uh, training as well as the construction of the different plans of actions in all the different countries of the region. And we are working up to now in nine out of the 19 countries in Latin America, and we're bringing this methodology with the premises that Carlos has just described and with the intention of strengthening and consolidating the movement from the perspective of knowing who we are and what we do from the organizations that conform the Union of Latin American Blind People. 
And so we have found some challenges which are part of this process, of this participatory process of recognizing or self-discovery and at the same time of uh, strengthening and uh, and impulse in a way, in some way or another, of the participation of these collectives that are further away from the from the directors it could be the young people, women, or maybe people who live in places that are further away, or populations that are basically within the um, visual impairment are the groups that are most vulnerable, and so the first. One of those challenges is that within the United, in our organizations, within our regional organization of the blind, we have in each country five or six or eight or ten, sometimes even 16 members that, of different organizations that are affiliated. And so the first challenge to be able to work within these countries is the um, to be able to sit in the same table uh, for planning and organizing all these different organizations and to start to be able to transmit the idea or the necessity of um, being able to construct collectively or jointly uh, and articulate actions with one unique objective, which is indefinitely to be able to change the reality of the people who have visual impairment in their own country. So the first challenge that we had, the first great challenge that we had in each one of these countries that we took this proposal was to be able to get all the organizations and get them involved in this process. First through diagnosis where they were able to identify these resources that existed, that they have, and what each one of those organizations works on, a bit of what Carlos was uh, mentioning already. And um, so we propose to you, uh, uh, this process, of course, is continuous, and uh, we propose to each one of those countries, first of all, to manage the resources that are necessary to be able to have a national type of, of operation that can, at the same time, invite a wide participation and to see first what are the requirements to be able to perform these activities at the national level and so that women could participate, so that young people would participate, and also so that, like we said before, people that are from outside of the major areas or populations that are further away and in countries where they have indigenous populations and to have participation also from indigenous people uh, who are blind or who have... Uh, impaired vision. And so we wanted it to be a situation where where all the people with a visual impairment in some way or another could become part of the movement or they or they could see themselves represented in this activity. So at the same time, and this is something that is fundamental, and this is something that is one of the most important goals that is a challenge for the future, is that these organizations uh, have made the commitment to be able to move forward with the process. The ac specific activity of training and, and education exchange and information exchange for that particular country cannot be just left as just simply having a one activity. That activity has to be transformed and it has to be uh, constitute a, a starting point to be able to develop using this methodology an action plan for short and medium and long term with all these different characteristics incorporating all these different premises that I have been describing.
So we were able to work so far with nine countries, like I mentioned. And uh, some of the interesting results we would like to share with you that have to do with, uh, of course, uh, um, we have to put on the table basically what happened with this whole process or what's happening with this whole process right now. And so, so what has happened so that it has been able to work so far? So we have some good examples that are interesting, like, for example, the case of Bolivia, where we, a lot of the people that were participating in the activity in the presence or the in-person situation is that, first of all, that they were able to go to the capital of the country or that they were accessing information about the Convention of the United States, about their rights with the people that have disabilities, or that they're, for the first time ever, they had the possibility of being able to meet the World Blind Union or through the participation of panelists from the World Blind Union and... And for these people, uh, they were participating for the first time ever in this type of situation. And this was something that was was transcendental. It was able to, you were able to visualize tools, resources, and knowledge that up to that point they had never been able to access. So, of course, we had the possibility of being able to make with them a working agenda and to be able to establish this process and this methodology. But we did have some other examples in other results, like, for example, in Guatemala, uh, through this activity and through the diagnosis and a follow-up and support uh, work to be able to um, apply this methodology, we had the creation of a National Federation of Institutions which is, uh, has given its first, uh, well, it already has given its first uh, steps and it has already been able to be grouped, it's been prepared, and it's, it, now it has a working plan as well. And it has organized nine different organizations within that federation. And now we also have examples, like for example, like Cuba, like apart from having been able to do this diagnosis, we have been able to construct with the National Association of the Blind in Cuba a, a strategic plan for three years that has allowed us to be able to identify the resources that they have available and also identify and organize their priorities and elaborate a plan that would integrate the different areas of that organization and who's given themselves challenges that are interesting within the context of the country itself. And it is looking within different other options. And they have also been working with other disability organizations and with other sectors at the level at the level of the national level and international level. So these are some of the results that are interesting for this work. And among those other things that it has allowed us to, like we were mentioning before since Monday when we had the opportunity to be able to do a to share this experience uh, from a different perspective. And what it has allowed us to do is, um, is to be able to, it's helping us at the level of what the organization is at the regional level as, a way, as, a, as well as the local organizations. And also has helped us to organize our work, to be able to have an impact, a greater impact with the movement of people with, uh, people who, with disabilities in all the different uh, um, environments where we pretend to be able to 
to include ourselves in the decision-making processes and participate in the decision-making processes. And overall, we, most of all, we really want to be able to incorporate the renewal of the organizations, and we want to incorporate the people who are young, We want to incorporate new perspectives. We want to also include new resources and tools from the methodological point of view, but also from the point of view of knowledge. And we have ahead of us a lot of challenges. And uh, one that we have been uh, developing, which is to be able to reach and be able to share this methodology and this pro working proposal uh, for the 10 countries that we in the region that we still haven't had the opportunity to be able to, to um, perform it there. And at the same time, we want to break regional borders and we want to be able to, by the way of this possibility that we have nowadays, today within this uh, joint uh, assembly of uh, ICEVI and the World Bond Union with other regions, with other organizations of the world. And so basically there's the challenge of being able to build a monitoring tool that would allow us to accompany our members in the follow-up of their action plans. And... Um, to be able to do an evaluation at midterm and long terms to see how we're doing and to see what impact this had in the lives of the people that have disabilities in each one of those countries. And a challenge also that, that invites us all to be able to reflect, which has the idea of having to be the sustainability of the organizations and this model of work, because we can build proposals that are very interesting or very innovative, but if we don't have the financial resources to be able to concrete these ideas into something concrete, then it's going to be very difficult. It's very challenging to be able to get the goals that we want. And so that perspective must be taken into account. It's one of the challenges that for us as a scientific committee Uh, that we we have this proposal uh, and we take this proposal to different organizations as a challenge for them in, the, in regards to their sustainability and for the movement itself in general with people who have visual impairment. And uh, finally, uh, we, um, we are, uh, what we would like is that this experience, uh, this work experience, which is collaborative, is collective, is participatory, and it has many dimensions that involve everything related to international conventions, like in our case, apart from the United Nations Convention for the People, the Rights of People Who Have Disabilities, and we also work with the Inter-American Convention in, at the region of the American states, and, and we also... And they promote basically and guarantee the rights of the people who have disabilities within the region of the American Hemisphere. And we're also working with the Marrakesh Treaty uh, ever since a few years ago. And also we're working with the Agenda 2030 and the Objectives for Sustainable Development, which are basically the framework where we are operating in. And so what we aspire to is that this model this this um that is so multidimensional 
that must take into account all these aspects, but it also must take into account the realities of each country. And that's why it's so important to do the diagnosis and to understand who they are, these organizations, and what they're doing, and that basically make up our movement. And so that this entire process can contribute to consolidate and to strengthen in some way or another what we're doing in relationship uh, to our organizations in order to be able to have an impact that is stronger so we can take the voice of the people that have visual disabilities to the areas where they actually make decisions so that we can actually change and affect so that the policies that have to do with people who are blind or who are or visually impaired to be able to incorporate in an effective way our necessities, our demands, and our proposals. And you can only do that by way of an organized work that is sustained, that is planned, and where you really involve everyone who is a stakeholder in, within our reality. And so we aspire to the fact that we this be the beginning of a longer process and that we take into account that like we were saying um, all the people, each one of the people who are blind or with low vision, if hopefully of the entire planet. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Carlos and Natalia, or Natalia and Carlos, uh, ladies first. And the, the third presentation is a the Young Commitment or Engagement in Europe and the World. And it's a presentation from Jessica Schroeder, who is responsible for the international relationships for the National Federation of Germany for people who are blind and or would have low vision. So the, here's the microphone for Jessica. You have the floor. you all here today um, just to sense how many people are in the room and how many people are still awake and are happy and we're listening to very thoughtful presentations I would like you to shout a few words and stand up so I would like you to shout the words yellow the world all of you now shout yellow the world a bit louder, please. Yellow the world. Wonderful. And now I'm going to tell you why we should yellow the world. Why we should paint the world in yellow. We are going to talk today about networks, about youth networks in Europe and all over the world. So there was a guy who established a network. It is called Noisy Vision. Noisy Vision means a vision which is loud, which is visible. And this guy was diagnosed with Usher syndrome in his 20s. Usher syndrome is a syndrome, a disease, where the vision will decrease over years and also your hearing. In the end, it often leans, leads to full blindness and to full hearing impairedness. So you are completely blind and you are completely deaf. And this guy thought, okay, even though I have diagnosed with noisy vision, I want to be part of a society and I want to be integrated, included 
And I want that the society also helps me to adapt with my condition and that society adjusts and adapts the environment to my condition. So he thought, okay, everything needs to be painted in very strong colors. And as he liked yellow quite a lot, he thought, okay, why not paint, paint everything in yellow? So this was his aim. And so Dario Sogato from Italy started a youth network, a European-wide acting youth network, consisting out of people from Iceland, Finland, Italy, Ireland, Germany, who were all vision impaired and are between 16 and 30, and thought, okay, we want to do something together. We want to erase awareness in the society, we want to sensitize the society for our needs, but we also want to have a lot of fun, because fun is something quite important in this world. So he thought, okay, we connect sensitization together with activities. And activities, as he liked sports and exercising and all that stuff a lot, he thought, okay, why we not provide hiking tours, inclusive hiking tours for vision-impaired people and people who are fully sighted, young people. So um, Dario organized, together with a lot of other people, including me, a um, trekking tour through Italy, a hiking tour through the mountains of Italy, and we had a wonderful one-week tour from Bologna to Florence over the mountains, like feeling, seeing, smelling a lot of forests, walking with his, our hiking sticks, overcoming obstacles, walking through a lot of mud, and really getting dirty at some point, and also tired and starving and necker because it was a hard tour, but it was wonderful. So we organized this one-week walking tour together with this network and with a club in the Alps, in the Italian Alps, who had never anything to do before with vision-impaired people and who thought, okay, they are not going to make that. We have to rescue them after the first day and just bring them back home. But we proved that we are able to overcome challenges, obstacles, that we can enjoy the environment and that we have a lot of fun. So this noisy vision, noisy vision network is quite an informal network, but we are going to uh, promote this network over the next couple of years and organize again tracking tours in Europe and hopefully also in other parts of the world to mobilize young people from all over the world, from Latin America, from Africa, from Australia, Asia, and also maybe one day, who knows, we can go to the Himalaya. This is one example of informal youth work. And at that tour, just to point out, we painted a lot of things in yellow. Stones, houses, we had yellow thumbs, like my thumb, and we had thumbs out of paper which we were sticking into the air and just raising them up and we were always shouting, yellow the world and make things accessible for vision impaired people. This is one network, but there are not only these kind of networks, there are also networks who were created by youngsters themselves who had the wish and the intrinsic motivation to uh, change something in terms of education in Europe, intercultural togetherness, so that people from different countries with vision impairment can come together and exchange experience. 
So there was a network established called Views International. Views stands for Vision Impaired Education Work Support. And the name contains already what it means and what it all is all about. So this network from youngsters and also here in that network are also blind organizations involved who support the youngsters in their daily activities. Um, members from this network are from Germany, from France, from Belgium, Netherlands, Turkey, Spain, Romania, Hungary, and a lot of other countries, so quite a big variety. And this network established a base, a website, but also a coordination program which helped youngsters to organize activities on their own. And since 2001, this network is organizing, for example, international youth exchanges where youngsters from all over Europe and also neighboring countries like Morocco or Tunisia, and also we also had a collaboration with China and once with the Congo and Africa. Uh, we are planning to have a collaboration with Latin America, hopefully very soon. They organized themselves, came together for a youth exchange. A youth exchange basically means having a lot of fun, sitting together, exchanging about different things like culture, stereotypes, how to create my makeup, how do I dress myself in a wonderful way that everyone loves me, how do I find my own way of dressing what I like and not only the others? And also creating, exercising a lot of sports like climbing, goalball, swimming, all that kind of stuff. So a youth exchange is basically around everything. So we also thought, okay, having a lot of fun is cool, but uh, there needs to be sometimes also something serious in. We want to be educated, we want to be future leaders. So we thought, okay, we have to organize a political awareness raising and education event. So we organized together with the European Blind Union, which is one of the six regional un un unions of the World Blind Union, an uh, event which was mainly catered to foster political awareness about what is the World Blind Union really doing? How is legislation working? What are politi politicians doing? Why is political work also important for us. For example, in regards to today, we heard it already, the Marrakesh Treaty, the UN Convention, also how can we create the demand and the requirements that all of our websites are accessible in a legislative process so that this is also legally binding that everyone has to do it and just not can say, oh, we may create an accessible website, but maybe a little, but we, we are quite lazy, we don't want to do it. No, we want to establish the requirements that they have to do it, they must do it. And because of this, political work is so important. And especially young people have to stand up, raise their voice, and have to say what is going on in the world and what for changes are needed to make the world an accessible and inclusive and a wonderful place for all. So we established this seminar and a lot of other things, like structured dialogues where we had exchanges with politicians in Martinique um, or in Belgium, where we talked about our concerns, what we need for adaptations. And this really raised, at least it raised awareness, and we were heard, our voices were heard, but still 
A lot of change needs to be done, and sometimes just time can tell. This is one of the great networks I, I really like. And the last network I'm going to present, and afterwards, just to give you a brief outline, I'm just coming to a little bit some challenges and positive aspects to round up and conclude this um, presentation. The last network is um, the network of change. So change is a quite broad word, and we heard this during this week several times. The network of change consists of small grassroots level organizations. So organizations who are not really um, depending on big blind organizations and who do not hook up with blind organizations, but people who created these organizations are blind themselves or they have other disabilities. And they were like uh, one presenter today in the plenary, Yoshimi Horiyochi, who established her own always reading caravan library and mobile library, have the motivation to change something and really to do it on their own and to have a hands on it. So there are several organizations, small ones, who, who act in this way and who uh, want change, for example, in the field of organic farming, but also in Zimbabwe, there is a wonderful, beautiful man who is very charismatic called Robert Malunda, who established orientation and training courses for daily living skills for blind and partially sighted children. And he's blind themselves, and he's 23, so he's really young, and he has really the power to, to do something. But in order to help those people to really be connected and stay connected and exchange uh, ideas and also failures, successes, we thought, okay, we establish an informal network. Uh, what the network is doing, it offers a range of um, opportunities in exchanging. So we offer monthly peer support sessions via Skype where people can exchange their problems and find solutions for any kind of obstacle. What we are also doing is now we are in creation of a website. It's called networkofchange.org. And this network will uh, place or display all the projects of uh, the members of our network. So it will be a platform to display the projects, to expose your own organization, but also to ask for help, for media coverage, or for any kind of resource development in terms of fundraising. So this network is still in the process of uh, being really structured and constructed in a proper way, but our peer support session and our development of a website, which is still in the maintenance and construction process, proved us that uh, this network is quite a big help to these very, very small organizations. So, but um, to be honest, uh, youth engagement is a great thing, but youth engagement also needs an engine. It needs someone who is fostering the whole process and so that it comes kind of self-propelling. So uh, we found it difficult in all the establishments of the network that there is always one person or two persons or even three persons who have to do a lot of the work or at least coordinate a lot of stuff. And if the persons, because we are all doing this 
very much on a volunteer base, uh, is not able to cope with that anymore due to other reasons like work. They just, um, they just cannot uh, deal with the burden anymore, and so the whole work is somehow stopping. So the engine is running out of battery. So in order to do good informal or formal youth work, which is not mainly guided by staff in an office, in a blind organization, it needs a very well-prepared coordination system and a backup so that if someone is running out of battery, that someone can come and help either recharge or replace the person for some time. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Another problem that we are facing, especially working with developed and maybe a bit less developed countries, is in terms of communication. Like, communication via Skype or other virtual means is a really tricky thing. Often, we have meetings, we want to exchange things, coordinate our work, but we just can't make it because the connection is so bad. Or we are just busy with telling each other, asking each other, can you hear me, can you hear me? Oh, we lost him, we lost him, maybe we found him again, let's see. So that's not a pretty good thing. So the third thing I would like to refer to is fundraising. This is not an issue only for youths, this is an issue for everyone in the world, for every blind organization, even for individuals who just want to have money. So fundraising is a huge challenge. There are some programs which can help us to overcome it. For example, in Europe, the European Union provides a quite a good framework for supporting networks and small projects, like I mentioned before, for example, youth exchanges and other projects like the Structured Dialogue I said. They provide the financial support for the travel costs and also organizations' costs and things like that. But in a lot of other cases, especially in the last two networks I mentioned, uh, noisy vision and also the change, um, the network of change, it is much more hard to obtain financial resources and to justify what we are doing if we do not have a very good proven record of what has already happened. So it means that we always need to look for new ways of fundraising. We discuss a lot, try to come up with solutions, but sometimes we want to do, be doers, but sometimes we are more in the position of talkers. So fundraising is a critical issue, and it is really hard to overcome. But to come to the benefits and what could youth development mean for all of us in the world, and I guess you know it, and I'm just reiterating what my uh, the former presentations from Latin America already mentioned, is that... Young leaders are the future. They are the future of tomorrow, or maybe they are already the present. So whenever you think in your blind organization and you are here and you have a long-standing, outstanding position and you are already older, look for youngsters who can support you and who you can transfer knowledge to. Because these youngsters have a lot to give, a lot to share, and you have a lot to give to them. So this inter-crossover um, generation exchange is a huge, a big issue. So never forget that. Youngsters won't steal anything from you. They will not take your position. They will just enrich your life. You will learn a lot. Others will learn a lot. 
and you gain new experiences, they gain experiences, and in the end, I promise you, you will be gifted, even though it might sometimes be hard, conflicts might arise, but conflicts are there to be solved, to be battled a bit, to argue a bit, to squabble a bit. That's all life. And um, please try to face this challenge. It's worth it, I'm going to tell you. So uh, this is my presentation. If uh, you have any questions, come later or whenever. And I just uh, wanted to thank also the former presentations because it was very interesting for me to understand what is going on in Latin America. And I think we have to strengthen this exchange on a regular basis to understand what challenges are other regions, countries are facing and how can we um, support each other and also just have a good chat and a good communication among each other to understand ourselves better <coughs> and to connect us and to create a solidarity which is, in a way, uniting. Thank you, Jessica. I think that you are in wonderful condition because this panel, we have Matias, who is the secretary for the youth of Olax. So it's going to be very good for you to coordinate your efforts. And I am going to miss them out for obvious reasons, but I believe that my ex-alumni will enjoy them. I believe firmly that this uh, that this group has clearly shown us what I said at the beginning. Youth are the present. They are prepared. They are empowered. And they have shown us in the three presentations that we saw today that which have been different. They have been very varied. And there is diversity. In diversity, there is growth. They have shown us that they are already acting and that their actions is going to benefit us all. We have now time, a very brief time, 10 minutes. I would ask you to kindly state your name and what question you have addressed to whom so please say who the question is addressed to and try to be brief in your questions. Is there anybody who can tell us if there is a question on the floor? Yes, thank you very much. My name is Juan Rocoso Bolopo. I am president of the National Organization of Blind of Guinea Equatorial, Equatorial Guinea. More than a question is a is, uh, is an, uh, an idea for three or four of the presenters. And the question is that it is truly a great compliment because all every day you have to find barriers and you have to overcome uh, hurdles and jump over mountains. I congratulate you. But um, what the last presenter said was very important. The last presenter who made his experience 
The last thing that you said, it is to collaborate one with another. Those who are already further ahead, helping others. Why? Because reality is very different. Each country has its own reality. And within the same country at times, reality, realities can be quite diverse. Comparing the city from a federal district to a province Or a, or a municipality that's far away from the main town, reality varies. And in our case in particular, it is much more different, much more difficult, because we only have, in this year, 2016, we're going to have only 13 years that we have been in existence. And out of those 13 years... Siete años funcionando. Seven years working with an office that's open, offering services, a school for the blind. And But in our case, what is the most difficult thing? First of all, we have the first difficulty, which is getting uh, fundraising, getting money to finance the different projects. And the other... But the same people who benefit do not even believe that they can have some opportunity in life. They believe that they're no longer good, that when you go blind, you're no good, that you're only going to stay home, get up. If they give you something to eat, you eat, you sit down, you get up. Many of them don't even have anybody to help them to go for a walk, to go out Sunday to church. And aside from this, uh, from this self-marginalization, we add the pressure, the the pressure of society, discrimination from society itself. Many times, even in the family themselves, and that hurts the person even more. The person with a visual limit, with a visual limitation, whether it be partially or a hundred percent. So, aside from all the campaigns that we do to uh, make to create awareness, we still have much to do. Why? Because if somebody who is affected does not believe in himself or herself, does not believe that he can do something, no matter if we establish means to do something, unfortunately, they're not going to use it because they don't know the value. So it is important that the experience that the presenters have been sharing with us presenting to us, it is also important that they share them with the other people, with those who come from behind, those who are newcomers to this. And this which I am saying, I am saying from, from Equatorial Guinea, but in many other countries, I'm sure, both from Africa, Asia, Latin America, there are still many places where there are no schools for the blind. Thank you very much. Gracias a usted, Juan. Compartimos plenamente lo dicho. Thank you. We wholeheartedly agree. We still believe there's a lot to be done because those people that you have described who don't even believe in themselves don't believe because an entire society has convinced them that they are not worth. Uh, social pressure is very strong and we believe that the organizations of the blind are precisely for that to help them to convince themselves that they 
can do what they what they want to do. Like Molly said, Matias wants to say something very briefly from our friend from Equatorial Guinea. I believe that perhaps the uh, a, a clue, a way to get to this self-improvement and this self-awareness. And I say it as a call to all the blind people and to all the people here and to all the organizations here is to be able to create an incentive to motivate, to motivate through the program the expectations, but also distributing resources. Perhaps many young people could participate in international events such as the one we are here. In this way, perhaps many youth will know other realities, will meet other people, other youth, and in this way, in the same way that we presented, we believe that collective participation is a very important way for empowerment and participation of youth, and UMC or other international gatherings are important so that the youth have a platform where they can gather and learn. We have question time for to entertain one last question, please. Or comment, please. I am going to speak in French. My name is Luca Pelé. I come from the Congolese Republic. It is uh, in East Africa. I don't have a question, but a recommendation, because I'm very impressed by all the activities led by uh, WBU, um, especially uh, the projects that the young people have shown me this morning. And we in Congo, uh, we have quite, we have a lot of conflicts. So all the people with vi uh, all the vision impairs are discriminated against. And I would like to recommend that we advocate for African country, especially my country, the Congo, um, to put together an important initiative so the opinion or the voice of the, uh, the blind and the uh, partially sighted are, is heard for that their rights will be respected in our countries. But because up to now, uh, there are no organizations that uh, include our people. Uh, we would like to include the Congo in your initiative. Thank you very much. First of all, we wish to thank the presenters for their most interesting presentations. Thank you for all of those present for being here and the respect with with which you have listened to us, the World Union to given to have given me the opportunity of of sharing this morning with you where I believe everybody, I tell you that this morning it touched me deeply touched me and that is a good thing because that helps us to continue working to continue being committed i i am blind from birth and i always say that i had 
the blessing of having been born at the right time in the right place. I was able to do the career I wanted to do and work for over 40 years in beautiful careers that I loved. And today I offer my work to Isebi in Latin America so that this situation is not a privilege, but rather that it great it gets to the to the largest amount of people, our young people, our children. That what does this mean? People who are blind, people who are uh, limited of limited vision. And thank you very much. Right, righto, then everybody. Righto, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, this is Colin Lowe here, um, president of ICEVI, and we've now come to the um, joint closing ceremonies of the two organizations. This is a joint closing ceremony of WBU and ICEVI, which will occupy the time between now and four o'clock, and it will include uh, various um, uh, farewell kind of things, but it will also include the presentation of some awards. Uh, I see EVI has some awards to present uh, to some of its uh, leading luminaries, and after we've done that, there will be a presentation of WBU awards. Um, there's quite a long list of um, elements to this closing ceremony, I would say probably at an estimate uh, ten of them. So I won't, <coughs> I won't read through them for you. Um, you, you'll, you. You'll know well enough what they are as they come along. It'll be quite clear. Um, but we're starting with um, the presentation of ICEVI awards. Um, and that'll, we've got four awards to present, so that'll, that'll probably be take account of the first 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, Aunt and I are co-chairing this uh, session, uh, which means that I'm opening it up, as you hear, and chairing the presentation of the ICEVI awards, and the whole of the rest of the afternoon will be chaired <laughs> by my dear friend... Uh, Mr. Holter, uh, and uh, there's, no, there's nobody better to do it. So we'll, we'll start with the ICEVI awards, if, if, we, if we may, and I'm going to ask uh, Lucia Pizzioni, our first vice president, to uh, announce who the awards are to be presented to, one by one, and say a few words about them. Then they'll come up here, and they'll receive the certificate, the, the award from me, and they'll, they'll say a few words themselves, and then they'll go off the platform, and the next person will come along. So, Lucia, would you like to um, start the process by announcing the first yes, person to receive an award? Yes, yes, I am here. ICVI recognizes individuals who had made a significant contribution to the field of education of children with visual impairment and also to the ICVI activities. The awards committee for this quadrennium was formed by Larry Campbell, President Emeritus, Hans Willing, Regional Chair Advisor, Divago 
Gebrandmedin, Gebrandmedin, Africa's Region Chair, Christina Sanz, Latin American Region Chair, and myself, Lucia Piccioni. This committee has reviewed the nominations submitted by the regional chairs and the principal officers and selected the following people. First, awarded Harry Svensson. Harry. Harry has worked all his life in the service of children and youth with disabilities in Sweden, in Nordic countries, and in many other countries throughout the world. From his base in Sweden, he has created knowledge, inspiration, and wisdom, and his contribution still shapes services for people with visual impairments in Sweden and beyond. Through the, through the research and development initiative he has led in Sweden, and through his work with the European Union, he has managed to set new standards for the National Post Service. As an important leader in the Nordic group, he has created networks and organized many conferences and workshops. On the global level, as vice president of ICBI, he successfully handled the interests of ICBI around the common goal aimed at achieving the best for the children with visual impairment. Harry served as editor of the Educator for a number of years, organizing an active editorial advisory board and created the concept of guest editor and thematic issues for our magazine, a tradition that has continued ever since. ICVI is truly proud of giving the International Excellence Award to Harry Svensson. deeply honored to be here. In August 1975, that is 41 years ago, I was asked to lead a study of low vision students' need of assistive technology. I don't know why they chose me to do it. I had no knowledge of visual impairment. As a graduate student, I was involved in research with hearing impairment and deafness. We were using high tech. Perhaps that was a reason that there were very few behavioral scientists in Sweden interested in technology. But I am not sure I have the answer. But I know one thing. I found an area where a newcomer was, was accepted, more experienced professionals, as well as persons with visual impairment, have gently given me advice instead of saying, young man, you don't understand this. I think this is unique for this field. A newcomer is not regarded as a burden, but as a possible resource for the future. When in 1977 I attended my first ICVI conference, a new world was opened for me. Since then, I have attended every ICVI world conference. Uh, 
When attending my first conference, I didn't know that I many years later would be deeply involved in the organization as a principal officer, serving both as a vice president and later as a second vice president, and be a part of the team that developed the educator from a newsletter to a professional journal. Well, time is short, so I I have just one final message to all of you. Take care of a newcomer. He or she will bring the torch onwards to the benefit for improving support for all persons with visual impairment. Thank you, Len. The second Anguardi, Nandini Rawal. Nandini's involvement with ICEVI commenced in 1987 when she was plenary speaker at the ICVI conference. From that moment, her contribution to ICVI's mission, values, and goals have been substantial. She has presented more than 180 papers in various national and international conferences. Nandini has also authored and co-authored more than 130 articles and other publications in national and international journals, books, and handbooks. She's always willing to share her expertise with others who care and support children and adults with visual impairment, including those with deaf blindness and multidisabilities. She has held positions of leadership in many local, national, and global organizations such Blind People Association in Ahmedabad, Vision 2020, CBM Regional Office, SciSaver International in India, Caritas India, Perkins International, etc. She has also held the position of ICBA Secretary for two terms, and in 2006, she accepted the position of ICBA Treasurer and she has significantly contributed to the accounting procedures of the organization. ICVI is truly proud of giving the International Excellent Award to Nandini Rawal. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great pleasure and very humbling to stand in front of you. I thank ICVI for this honor and feel deeply embarrassed by it. I thank my colleagues at the Blind People's Association, my family, and my family at ICVI for making me what I am. I would like to symbolize 
my work and my life in a little poem that I have written for this occasion. That is why I do work with children with visual impairments. That is why I have written this poem. We may not realize that everything we do affects not only us, but touches others too. A single smile can brighten up the day for anyone who passes your way. A little thoughtfulness that shows you care creates a sunshine for all to share. I realize that I have only one life to live. So why not live, let live, and to the fullest extent, give. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. The third awardee, Palan Yang. She has devoted most of her life to supporting education for children with vision impairment and advocating for the right of children and adults with disabilities in Cambodia. She started her work when working with UNICEF at the only school for children with disabilities in the refugee camps along the Cambodian Thai border in 1986. In 1991, she decided to deepen her commitment to her children with visual impairment by working with a new non-governmental organization called New Family. Palo was involved in the creation of Cambodia's first school for children with visual impairment. She became the first braille teacher in the history of Cambodia. Since then, New Family has opened four more schools that welcome learners with sensory disability. Panahasit Apoite, as director of the New Family School for Deaf or Blind Children in Phnom Penh and program coordinator for education of children with visual impairment. She has worked to reduce injustice in society and increase opportunities for people with visual disability to access education, fulfill their potential, and become independent citizens. I ICVI is truly proud of giving the International Excellence Awards to Palaneng. First, I want to thank you very much for ICEVI with Lori and Dr. Mani also to support us for education blind children in Cambodia. And 
most men cannot help about ICVI to support. We cannot continue the same get and provide our education for visually impairment in Cambodia. And thank you for founder, all the founder, and thank you for the man, president, and of Krusatmai, Mr. Benoit Duizato Amangzong. He start to open and provide about education for blind and low vision children in Cambodia. And thank you a lot for ICVI. Thank you all. The fourth awardee, she's Rima Kanawati. Rina is deputy chair of the West Asia Regional Committee of ICBI. As director of program development at the Bethlehem Arab Society for Rehabilitation, she has developed different programs for people with visual impairment in the field of inclusive education. Rina established a vision rehabilitation center which is the soul of its kind in Palestine. The center renders comprehensive services to children, adults, and elderly people with visual impairment. She also established early education services to children with visual impairment and other additional disabilities from zero to six years old. Rina lobbied at the, lo the police the Palestinian Ministry of Education and Higher Education for the implementation of a national program of the educational inclusion of persons with visual impairment. She also initiated the establishment of the Resource Center at the university to support students with visual impairment and offer them equal access to quality higher education. She, play, she played a prominent role in empowering young people with visual impairment and educating them about their right to inclusion and full participation in, the, in education and in society. Besides, she played an important role in loving parents of children with visual impairments to organize themselves in a parent association. ICVI is truly proud of giving the International Excellence Award to Rina Kanawati. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I feel so honored and proud you know, to, to be the recipient of the ICEVI Excellence Award. I feel especially privileged 
that my humble efforts and contributions towards promoting the rights of persons with vision impairment are being recognized with such festivity. I shall receive this award on behalf of all self-advocates with vision impairment who have been and continue to struggle for equal rights, equal access, for justice and non-discrimination, and who share the same dream of a dignified life in an inclusive world for all. Uh, I would like to seize the opportunity to extend my sincere thanks and appreciation to all the superb people I've worked with at ICEVI who have been a great source of support and inspiration, uh, and also to my family and friends who have been continuously supporting me in all my undertakings. Thank you so much. We have finished our part of the ceremony. I would like to congratulate all the guardies and thanks of you, of the audience. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Lucia. Uh, very well done, if I may say so. And congratulations to all the awardees. And now I'm going to pass over the chairing of this session to my good friend and colleague, Arndt Holter. Thank you, uh, Colin. I don't know many lords in the UK, but I know that you are the best one. <laughs> um, it is a great pleasure to be here tonight, uh, this afternoon, and uh, that also the General Assembly is uh, approaching the end. Uh, we have had several uh, elections during several days, so I feel a need to just uh, give an information about who is sitting in our uh, table offices in World Blind Union from now. That is uh, the president, incoming president, Fred Schroeder. The first... <laughs> the first vice president, uh, Fred is coming from the U.S., the first vice president from Spain, Fernando Riano. Riano. The second vice president, L.A. Marsha from Tanzania. The treasurer, Martin Abel Williamson from New Zealand. And um, secretary general uh, is A.K. Mittal from uh, India. And then I will also hang around for another four years. <laughs> I'm going to present um, a award called an Honorary Life Members. An Honorary Life Member in World Bank Union means that you will be a member for World Bank, World Bank Union for the rest of your life. You have the opportunity to come to the General Assembly to vote and meet old and new friends. 
So it's, uh, it's uh, a great pleasure to uh, present for you a list of uh, new Honorary Life members. And uh, uh, I will ask you to come up, up to the podium when I've read out your names so we can hand over the certificates. Mr. Amir Asram from Pakistan. Carl Augusto from United States of America. Muntian Buntan from Thailand. My good friend and old friend, Chris Friend from UK. Marianne Diamond from Australia. Mary Ellen Jernigan from United States. Enrique Perez, Spain. Ivanhoe from Malaysia. And then I have a kind of a surprise. Um, because when we, have, we had the last EXCO meeting, I was asking the staff members to go away from the meeting. I said it was not any dangerous thing, but just a detail. And the small detail is that uh, we have also uh, decided to yield the membership life member to Penny Hart in Canada. I wish you welcome some as uh, Honorary Life members. And it's a great honor to be an uh, Honorary Life member, and it is also a great responsibility, because you are also carrying out the duty of taking decisions in World Bank Union, and that is an important uh, thing to do, and it means also a lot for blind and partially sighted persons around the world. So I wish you welcome as uh, Honorary Life members and hope to see you in the next General Assembly. And I said to Penny uh, two days ago that we, we are going to be two backbenchers in the future. <laughs> yes. Chris, coming up the stairs. This is for Chris. That's the that's the right way. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Hope to see you soon again. Yes, indeed. Yes. And the next Thank one. you very much. Enrique. Thank you. Enrique. Enrique. Ivan I don't Owen. see Ivan. Ivan Owen is not here? Okay, you're late for me. Okay. Mary Ellen? Mary Ellen. I'm here. <laughs> no, it is Marianne. Uh, Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen? Mrs. Jernigan? <laughs> Send Thank you to the doctor. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you. Thanks. And you said Montiel is not here? Montiel is Okay, just one second. Let me just go. Last one is me. Yes. This one is Montiel. Penny Hartin. How did you get that done? <laughs> <laughs> And we have three persons who are not here. That is uh, Montien. I, s I saw on the face. She had a representative on behalf of Montien. Oh, yeah, okay. So we have a representative. I saw Mar um, Montien on Facebook last night. He was in a recept reception in Geneva. So. <laughs> So Karl is not uh, present, but he, we will send him the certificate, and uh, I will also send him a letter. Our next award is uh, the most prestigious award in World Run Union. And some people can get it, not all the people who deserve it can get it, because we only have one medal every four years. This year we had five very good uh, candidates, but we have only one medal, and I must say it was a very difficult decision to do in the award committee to decide who is going to have the Louis medal uh, this year. I have uh, known this person for a long time. Uh, as I think the first time was back in 2004, and we have been discussing a lot and we have met each other a lot uh, during those years. 
and I'm not going to say many th so many things about the person because you will soon know who it is. So I'm going to present the name first, and then I will say a little bit more afterwards. The Louis Medal in 2016 will go to Marianne Diamond. Marianne, you know Marianne, and um, I've been discussing a lot with Marianne. Uh, it has been very helpful, it has always been very interesting, and uh, in a way, um, there's one thing I can't say about you, Marianne, and that is that you are patient. <laughs> but you are very active, you need to have action, and you also expect actions from people. I have learned a lot from you, Marianne. Uh, for example, that we are always starting on time, and we are always <laughs> concluding on time, and we are always uh, where the decisions are made. In, uh, you know Marianne uh, because of her work for Marrakesh, but when you're listening to Marianne, and she's talking about Marrakesh, she is always... Um, talking about the team and the teamwork. And that is the way Marianne is, uh, is, uh, is functioning because she is working hard, but she is always working together with the team and trying to get the best out of the team uh, when, when she is working. Uh, I'm going to miss you, Marianne, uh, but I hope we can find some place around the world to have some glasses of red also in the future. <laughs> and also to discuss the World Blind Union. And I hope when I need your advice, I can make a call and that we, the other people also in the World Blind Union can make a call and take advantage of your competence and wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anne. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, Wow, aunt, a bit of warning would have been nice. <laughs> I'm not sure where to start, but I feel very honoured, uh, very humble and, and privileged to be amongst this very select group of people, recipients of a Louis Braille Medal. Someone once said, when accepting this medal, in 100 years, there'll probably only be 25 people in that group. So to be one, I feel very honoured. I have had an interesting, a wonderful and inspiring journey in my involvement in World Blown Union. Starting when we were to host the General Assembly in Melbourne back in 2000. I tell people that I was the token woman who was asked to join the organising committee because we were having an international blind women's conference. Well, whether I was token or not, it began an, an amazing journey. 
So as people know, I then became the chair of the Women's Committee in 2004, the first vice president, 2008 the president, and just the last term, a media past president. I've worked with many people. People introduced me to the World Blind Union, such as David Blythe, Kiki Nordstrom, Jeff Gibbs, all who are not here today, but they were wonderful friends and mentors to me at my beginning. I've worked with Penny over a long time, right back in the Women's Forum days, and others. Larry, I became a great friend of yours, especially when we started Vision Alliance, sitting in that stranded Bangkok hotel because the airport had closed down. <laughs> we had lots of good memories and lots of fun. And of course, Marrakesh has been a journey, and it's one that we've all taken together. And you know, if I was to leave any message, it will change the lives of people. ICEVI, please get on board with us because opening up the world of books in education can only benefit millions and millions of blind students. You can't do this job without support. And I do want to acknowledge and thank Vision Australia, who for all of these years has provided support to me to do the work, recognising their board, recognising right from the start that what I could do at the international level could only assist the work within Australia. So thank you very much to Vision Australia, to my family and um, all of those who I've worked with. It's been great. I hope it's not the end, but it certainly will give me less travel, which was most welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I've got the citation here too, Aunt. <laughs> so. I think this is the first time I have shocked Marianne, so I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, now we are going to present and uh, acknowledge the um, uh, ex new executive committee in World Blind Union, and uh, it's uh, functioning from tomorrow, oh, from tonight, this afternoon. We are going to have a meeting just after the closing ceremony, uh, and it will uh, go on till 2020. So, Penny, if you please can read out. All right, thank you very much. So the members of the WBU Executive Committee for 2016, as of today, I guess, until 2020. The table officers, Dr. Frederick Schroeder, President. Mr. Fernando Riano, First Vice President. Ms. Ellie Macha, Second Vice President. Mrs. Martine Abel Williamson, Treasurer, Mr. Ajay Kumar Mittal, Secretary General, Mr. Arndt Holte, Immediate Past President, from the African Union of the Blind, Mr. Ya Afori Debra, Regional President, Ms. Kathy Donaldson, Mr. Luis Benedicto Ciprian, and Mr. Ishmael Zhu from the Asian Blind Union, Mr. Santosh Kumar Rungta, Regional President, Mr. Tengniev Kulmamad, Mr. Amer Makaram, Mr. Kari Sad Noor from the Asian Pacific Blind Union, Ms. Michiko Tabata, Regional President. Mr. William Jolly, Ms. Gerald Dondovdorf, 
And I apologize in advance for my pronunciation, Dr. Apple Su Suwanawut from Thailand. European Blind Union, Mr. Wolfgang Angerman, Regional President, Mr. Alexandra Numevakan, Mr. Emin Demirsi, Ms. Anna Sofia Pedroso Lopez and Antunes, Latin American Union of the Blind, Mr. Volmir Ramondi, Regional President, Mr. Fernando Gal Galaraga, Ms. Lucia Nieves, and Ms. Selena Caraballo, North American Caribbean Blind Union, Mr. Charles Mossop, Regional President, Mr. Mitch Pomerantz, Mr. Mark Riccobono, Ms. Diane Bergeron, International Members' Representatives, Mrs. Gertrude Fafwame from Sightsavers, Mr. Lars Bosselman from CBM, Mr. Peter Ackland from IAPB. The ICVI president will be announced tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. President. So this gives me also an, uh, an opportunity to remind you about the next EXCO meeting, which will take uh, place at 4.30. We have um, elected a new president, Fred Schroeder. I think the first time I listened to Fred must have been in this hall some years ago when I visited the convention uh, in National Federation of the Blind. And I thought immediately that this must be a person which can be very useful in World Blind Union. Now he is elected as the president, and I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, and working with you in uh, the future, Fred. And I will invite you to say some words to the General Assembly. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Arndt. It's a, it's, a it's a real honor. We represent 285 million blind and visually impaired children and adults around the world. 285 million people who are denied opportunities to some degree because of their visual impairment, but in large part because of lack of opportunity. And to expand those opportunities, we must always remember that we represent blind people living in the wealthiest countries in the world and in the poorest countries in the world, in the largest countries in the world and in the smallest, in the most populous and in the least populous. A few moments ago when Marianne was given the Louis Braille Medal, I began to think so much of the advocacy around the Marrakesh Treaty was to make sure that the treaty would work 
for as many of those 285 million blind people as possible. And without going into a great deal of detail, let me just, let me just share with you a couple of items from the many, many months, years of negotiations that took place. One of the, one of the concepts that Marianne fought very hard for was what we call direct distribution of books. Well, what does that mean? Many of the people involved in the negotiations wanted books only to be exchanged from institution to institution, from library to library. But Marianne said, no, there are many parts of the world that do not have the library infrastructure to participate. We must be able to directly distribute books to blind people irrespective of the infrastructure that may be available in their community or their country. In other words, this treaty has to work for 285 million blind people, not just blind people in the most developed countries. And another example of that had to do with a concept called commercial availability. There were many who said, if a book is available for purchase, if it's commercially available in an accessible format, then it should not be included in the treaty. Well, what if a book is available as an e-book? Now it's commercially available. So had we allowed that to go forward. What that would have meant is, sure, you could say, well, it's an e-book. You can buy it if you have six or $800 to buy an iPad to read it on. If you have access to the Internet to download it. But this was not satisfactory to us because we had to represent 285 million people not just a select number of people. That's our charge, all of us, for the next quadrennium, but really for as long as we're able to work together to advocate on behalf of blind children and adults. And I, I thank you quite sincerely for the confidence you have shown in me, and I will do my very best, very best to do what I'm able to do to advance opportunities for all 285 million blind and visually impaired people throughout the world. Thank you, Mr. President. We have also two outgoing uh, officers. Uh, that is uh, immediate past president. She is leaving us now, <laughs> Marianne Diamond. Um, please give her a hand. <laughs> and also the second vice president, Mr. Enrique uh, Perez, is also leaving us. Um, 
I have been working with uh, Enrique for many years. He has been a part of the officers for 12 years. He has contributed a lot to our work in the World Brand Union, and I'm really going to miss you, Enrique. <laughs> Then we have some uh, gifts we would like to give to those people who have been so active uh, handling the General Assembly doing all the work and also being behind and solving all the problems coming up because there's always something going on in the back of the scene. Uh, I would like to ask uh, Mark Maurer, Mark Riccobono, Mary Ellen Jernigan, uh, John Berggren and Maggie Leon to come up here. Maggie is the coordinator from the, from the office And I think you know the other ones. Uh, so please come up to the podium and we have a small gift for you. And maybe you can explain uh, for me. While um, Arndt is giving out the gifts, I'll explain to you what it is because most people will have no idea except the Canadians. It's It's um, because I live in Canada, then I kind of get to pick them out. So I like to choose something that is kind of meaningful in Canada and I think is meaningful around the world. And it's called an Inukshuk. It's spelled I-N-U-K-S-H-U-K. And that's an Inuit word from northern Canada. And it, it's, um, it basically means in the shape of a man. And basically it represents... Um, piles of stones that are piled on top of each other, basically in the shape of a person, and they're placed along the Arctic coast to show the way to other people, to show where there might be good fishing, fishing holes, and it's really kind of symbolic of, of sharing the information you have with others, and sharing community, and pointing the way for For others, so I think it's very special and a very special message from our um, northern Canadian heritage, and so that is the our um, the, the 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 gift to our, our host is a small glass inukshuk. So there's a new word for you. Thank you. Okay, it's going forward. <laughs> I will also take the opportunity to thank uh, NFB, all the staff members in uh, NFB, serving us during this uh, General Assembly and in the planning of the uh, General Assembly. The translation has been wonderful. So... Very nice to listen to you, and I will miss you all. <laughs> um, I will also say thank you to uh, everyone, to the volunteers, and everyone who have uh, served us during this uh, General Assembly. It has been a pleasure to be with you, and I've always been feeling safe when I've been going around in the hotel.
I'm not I'm not finished Okay, friends, um, I will also take this opportunity to say thanks to you all for all the support I have uh, had during my term as the president of World Blind Union. It has been wonderful to work with everyone, and it has um, been one of the most interesting part of my life. I have uh, been happy, and I have uh, worked a lot, but I'm also glad it is only four years because it takes a lot of time and it's, it's, a, it's a big duty. You feel a very, very strong responsibility. And uh, it has been uh, a time where, I, where I've been working very hard and, um, and I think I'm happy now it's, it's over, but it has been a, uh, one of the best part of my life. It has contained a lot of tra traveling. I said to my wife uh, once, because I tried to minimize my traveling, and said, I'm traveling not that much. I said, she said, oh, where have you been then? Um, so uh, it has been uh, a lot away from home, so I'm also very thankful to my family, to my wife, because I have had the opportunity to do this. Without Penny, it has not been... Uh, we have not been here today. She has always been there. She, she has the control. She asks and she follows up. And uh, she also has the total overview of what we are going to do. And she has uh, been a, a very um, important resource for me, but also a very good friend. And without Penny, I, I don't think I, I have managed to do uh, what I have done. And sometimes she also has done things for me. So very much thank you, Penny. You have been uh, very important for me. I will also say thanks to my own organization, Norwegian Association of Blind and Partially Sighted, both the president, Mrs. Unjönor Hagen, and the vice president, Mr. Thor Tyslum, are present here as the delegates. And NABP has been supporting me uh, tremendous during this time, both with the paying uh, for me to, to go around in the world and do the work, but also giving me the time to do so. So thanks to NABP, and I hope NABP can be uh, also uh, taking, care, taking part in the work in the future. I know that they will, because international work is a part of NABP. Thank you, Sir NABP. I will end up this speech trying to describe shortly World Blind Union. And I have found three quotations which I will bring forward, which I think describing our family, the World Blind Union. World Blind Union is an inclusive organization. We try to include everyone. And then I will Give, uh, say, uh, quote uh, uh, an American president. We are, it's, it's popular to quote American presidents nowadays. This is a long time uh, ago, and it was from Berlin when the American presidency said, Ich bin ein Berliner. And that means that we are in the same boat. 
we are working for the same, and we try to include each other as much as possible. World Brand Union is also an organization, organization fighting for taking um, away uh, barriers and opening the world. Wherever I go around, I have friends in all countries, and we are always trying to open the world and get new friends and also get rid of borders. The worst borders you have in the world is walls. And back to Berlin, another famous American president said, Mr. Gorbachev, tears down the wall. And I think that also means that uh, we are working to get rid of walls. We are, getting, we are trying to be one family. We will have no borders. We have Marrakesh taking away the borders for Braille books. And the, my last quote is also from an famous American, and that is about the future, and that is, I have a dream. And I have a dream of no discrimination and equality. Thank you so much for um, supporting me, and uh, and I promise to be with you also in the future. Now, um, we will uh, uh, continue, and we will do two more things. First, I will ask Colin to give his uh, closing remarks as the president of ICVI. Colin, please. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Aunt. Um, after your very comprehensive uh, expressions of appreciation and, um, and summing up, it's, it's difficult uh, not to be repetitious. Um, but there, there are some things that I would, I, I would like to uh, say, even if they do re repeat what you've said, because... Uh, they're important, and it's important that ICEVI should say them as well as uh, the World Blind Union. Um, I think this has been, it's been a very enjoyable assembly, joint assembly, and uh, it's been very well organized. Um, but the fact that it's been well organized is not the only reason why it's been uh, so enjoyable. Uh, We've had wonderful opportunities for uh, networking. And um, I think it, it's, from that, that point of view, it's, it's been a, one, of the west, one of the best um, conferences. Um, certainly, ha hardly a minute has gone by without somebody buttonholing me and coming uh, with a nice uh, greeting and some interesting things to, to say. I would certainly like to... Um, express my appreciation to the, to, uh, to the host committee. Um, the, 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 the two Marks, Mark Maurer and uh, Mark Riccobono, uh, Fred Schroeder, Mary Ellen Jernigan, and uh, John, John Bergeron, and um, Maggie Lung, who've done uh, a fa an absolutely fantastic job. Um, it, um, I think some, 
there have been occasions when people have been uh, working very hard uh, behind the scenes uh, to keep it all together, but it's never, it's, 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 it's never, um, it's never been apparent. Uh, from the ICEVI side of the operation, um, I said it before when I made my opening remarks, but I'll say it again. I think in particular, uh, Francis Gentle, the chair of our program committee, and the indefatigable uh, Dr. Mani, our chief executive, uh, deserve uh, great, great credit for the organizational feat that they've achieved. And I'd like to thank again uh, Lucia, Lu Lucia Pizzioni, uh, for uh, the, the way she um, put, presented the awards this, this afternoon. I, I do this particularly because uh, Lu Lucia is always saying that uh, she, she can't do things because um, she, doesn't, uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't know English well enough, she doesn't speak English well enough. Well, you would never, never know that from this afternoon, would you? I'd like to thank the chairs and the presenters who've made the, the sessions go so well, and the, the hotel, the hotel staff, the interpreters, and the volunteers. I think it's been a great assembly. Um, it's the first I've experienced of these joint assemblies because I'm, I'm, I missed the, the, the first joint. WBU ICEVI assembly uh, last time, so I, I, I can't compare. I was told that was very good, um, but it could hardly have been better than this one, I think, which has um, been such a good assembly in uh, so many ways, and I'll mention some of them. Um, there have been some wonderful parties. Um, there, there hasn't been an evening uh, without a good party, um, several, sometimes several, that you can go to and uh, experience a great, a great deal of fellowship that um, uh, abounds in our community. I think um, the assembly has uh, represented, um, has been collab collaboration in action, our two organizations, and abundantly justifies the decision uh, to, to come together. Um, at, at times, it's felt um, that you're in, you're in the same conference, that it's, it's just been one conference. Um, uh, the, the two organizations are, are distinct. We're not talking about merging. merging. Uh, they, are, they are distinct, but increasingly, we are, we are pursuing the same agenda, and that's been very apparent. Many of the sessions could have been an, uh, an ICEVI session or a WBU session. We've often been talking about the same things, and that's a, a great thing. Uh, the, the ICEVI agenda is a bit more uh, specialized, obviously, because that focuses on uh, education, but um, the, 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 the same dynamics underpin education policy as un under underpin policy in um, m many other spheres of, uh, I was going to say blind welfare, but that's probably not a very good expression to use. So um, uh, act act 
activity uh, in the, move, the move, movement of blind people. Um, I've mentioned networking. I'll just perhaps finish by, um, I, I said to Polly, my assistant today, what am I, am I going to say, for, what should I say for these concluding remarks? And she said, well, um, you, might see if, you might mention some takeaway messages from the conference. Well, here's a few of them. Um, the first one I'd mention is, I recall William Rowland um, at the beginning of a session that he was chairing, uh, pointing out uh, what a long way uh, we had come. Uh, there's, there's plenty still to do, of course. There'll always be uh, things to do to advance the, the, the cause of blind people. But uh, we shouldn't be in any doubt about the distance that we, that we have come, and that should in, increase our, the, the confidence that we have in our ability to do what needs to be done um, without um, diminishing the contribution of our predecessors I think it, it's, it's probably fair to say that the, the, the WBU is un, unrecognisable um, in, from the organisation that it was, say, uh, 20 or 30 years ago. It's um, uh, second to none in its professionalism. I, I don't know that... Uh, I, I don't know that 20 or 30 years ago um, we'd, we'd, have able, we'd have been able to secure that um, Mar Marrakesh Treaty, which is one of the most outstanding achievements of any blindness organization that there's ever been. Um, <laughs> technology, there's rightly been uh, a major focus on, on technology, and that, uh, that, that, that's already making a great difference to all our lives and will, will increasingly do so as time goes by. And um, we've, we've also had um, a considerable focus on the CRPD and the, and, and the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. And these are, these are all illustrations of great, great progress uh, in, our, in our movement. Uh, Thing, things that um, ena enable us uh, more than was the case before, things that we have um, we've secured uh, by, our, uh, by our own efforts, and things that uh, rightly take up uh, quite a bit of uh, attention of an assembly like this because um, we need to uh, uh, we, we need to we need to talk quite a lot and, and sp spend. Uh, expend quite a bit of energy on working out how we can, how we can best use these to our, to our advantage and to advance the rights of, of blind people. Um, but each of these things seems to be uh, a further step along the road. Um, before the SDGs, we had the Millennium Development Goals, but they were very defective. I mean, there were lots of good things in them, and um, a lot was achieved by them, but they were very defective uh, in, uh, whole, uh, in entirely omitting disability from them. That's, that's been significantly put right in the Sustainable Development Goals, and we'll have, to, we'll have to make the most of what they offer in the next 15 years. And then finally, the, the, the last thing... I've written down here is the, um, the em emphasis on youth that we had this morning. Uh, the the, the Im Im importance of young people 
uh, to our movement um, can't be exaggerated uh, unless we have young people coming forward and we're um, uh, nurturing young, young people um, and uh, helping them to move forward, our, we, our, our organization will not be sus sustainable. Uh, the, the young, young people of our movement represent the future of our movement, and so we, uh, it's, it's right that we should do all that we can uh, to uh, foster and, and develop the, uh, the, the, the talents of the young people in our, our movement. And we are very, very blessed with talented young people. So there's, 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 great, there's great hope uh, for, the, for the future, but we must nurture it. And I'll just end by uh, repeating a reference I made um, in my opening remarks yesterday, I think it was. It's difficult to tell one day from another when you're um, um, immersed in a conference like this. Um, but um, I drew attention to the potential uh, synergy between our higher, higher education project, higher education project, the one that's being funded by the Nippon Foundation, and the uh, development of young people into lead leaders in the blindness movement, not just in ICEVI, but uh, in WBU, WBU as well. So uh, that, that's where I'll, I'll, I'll stop. That's my last uh, takeaway message. But just repeating, I, I think. It's, it's, it's been a, a, wonder, a wonderful conference, and I hope that we'll all go away uh, the, the richer for it and f fortified by a wonderful collective experience that we've all enjoyed together. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lord Lowe. Um, my last duty is to introduce the president of the Blind Union. Fred, it's very popular to talk about healthy patients nowadays. I don't have a letter from the doctor, but I know that World Blind Union is very healthy. And I will hand it over to you. Let us give the president of World Blind Union a big hand. Well, thank you, Arndt, very much. And in a moment, I will adjourn this General Assembly. However, uh, do not leave immediately because we have a few announcements that are important. Uh, earlier, Arndt presented the Chinook Shook. Did I say that correctly, Penny? Inuk Shook. Well, anyway, the, uh, the Inuit uh, Stone Guidepost in appreciation to uh, a number of individuals, but we have one for you, Arndt, that's made of soapstone. And here it is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, and that's, that's out of sincere appreciation for all you've done. You know Arndt has provided tremendous leadership over these past four years, and he's a very skilled and talented administrator, and he's also really one of the kindest uh, and, I would say, most loyal friends you would ever hope to know, and I sincerely appreciate all you have done for me.
The last thing I want to say is we're a little ahead of schedule, and so I'm going to ask that the WBU executive, instead of meeting at 4.30, if you would meet at 3.45 in Salon 14, 3.45 in Salon 14. And with that, I, again, remember we have announcements, but with that, I will close the 2016 Assembly of the World Blind Union. Good afternoon, everybody. Just a couple of announcements before you go off to the next meetings and before the evening. Uh, first of all, some people are listening to the simultaneous interpretation device, devices right now. For those of you who are not, take this opportunity to get them out of your bags so you can turn them in. Uh, a few logistical announcements. The hotel checkout time is 11 a.m. Unless you've made other arrangements, paid for a late checkout, your checkout time will be 11 a.m. They'll be coming by to uh, get the rooms ready for the next guest. So plan to be out of your rooms at 11 a.m. when you check out. We have a gala dinner tonight, and I hope everybody is planning to attend. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The gala dinner will begin in this room promptly at 7.30. The doors to the gala dinner will open at 7 o'clock. Please be sure to bring your orange ticket to uh, make sure you get a meal at the gala dinner. Have your orange ticket with you. The doors open at 7. Beginning at 6 p.m., one hour before the doors open, there will be a cash bar immediately outside of this ballroom. So you can uh, have uh, the, the beginning of the last party there, Colin. <laughs> so 6 o'clock, cash bar, 7 o'clock, doors open, 7.30, the gala will begin. Finally, one more time, this is the last announcement, so as soon as I'm done making this announcement... Please, as you exit the room, turn in your simultaneous interpretation device to the table where you got it. Uh, there will be a line there, and there are, they are going to need your name to make sure you get checked off. Otherwise, we're going to be hunting you down for either your device or the dollars to pay for it. So please uh, turn in your device immediately outside of this room. Uh, at the table, and we won't have to hunt you down tonight at dinner. So thank you very much. We'll see you tonight at the gala. Concludes the final session of the 2016 WBU and ICEVI sessions. Larry, I just yes. want to um, to thank you and recognize the tremendous amount of hours that you have contributed to make this coverage possible for people listening all around the world. 
appreciate all of your work. Um, the availability of the archives after the session will be posted on ACB Radio. Yeah, in fact, uh, all of them are, except for today's session. I still have to prep it, but uh, the, the rest of them are already up there. You can go to acbradio.org slash WBU2016 to uh, download them from the webpage. And if you have a podcatching device, uh, if you like getting things via podcast feed, you can go to acbradio.org slash acb-events.xml you can see the WBU archives in there along with uh, the ACB convention that happened this year and the affiliates that have streamed this year uh, you'll be able to find them in, the, in there as well so there's a lot of a lot of great stuff in that feed already well thank you again Larry no problem and thank you to an, Brian and <laughs> yes is, and Brian's coverage and yeah. his time assisting you and it's been a pleasure for me to sit behind the microphone a little bit and help. I don't get an opportunity to do that very often. And yeah. um, on behalf of the American Council of the Blind, it's been an honor and a privilege for us to cover the WBU and the ICEBI Absolutely. General Assembly. So again, thank you. And I hope all of you who have been listening um, enjoy the, the presentations and all the coverage that we've been able to provide. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for your comments and feedback. And uh, we hope to do this again in the next four years, uh, in 2020. So with that, we're going to sign off so we can pack up the equipment and get out of the way of the hotel staff that are going to convert this room for the gala tonight. Unfortunately, we're not going to stream that because there really isn't any formal presentation going on and logistically... Um, they're going to redo all the AV and stuff like that. So anyway, have a good afternoon, and we will talk to you again right here on ACB Radio. Thank you. Thank you.